All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Woodwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. This is the Spoken Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Spoken Studios with only Mr. Trevor Twidwell. What's good, y'all? Episode 128, full swing, full motion. We are so happy to be here with you guys on this August evening. We are so happy that you're here with us. We're so happy to be talking sports. Man, it has been a busy week in the world of sports all across the board, from the NBA to the NFL, even major leagues, man. Things been getting crazy. Things been getting crazy in the soccer world, which is why I wish our guy Eddie Ortiz was here tonight. Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo is out of town. It was his birthday uh, just yesterday, so we want to wish our guy a happy birthday, happy 29th birthday to Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo. We wish he was here, but we know he's having a good time out there in Cali. And he will be back next week, so we cannot wait to get his thoughts on this whole messy mess, if you will, with the Barcelona situation. Oh, my God. I really wish he can uh, can break that one down for us. But nevertheless, we're going to keep it here on the national side of things, the America side of things. Man, we got a lot to unpack. So strap in, man, for the next uh, – well, I don't even know what how much time we do this show, man. We usually – it's usually around two hours. So buckle hours, in yeah. for at least a safe two hours, if you will, because I'm sure Trevor and I can – uh, you know, bump our gums long enough to give you an entertaining show. But if you're new here, man, all we do is we talk sports. And we give you guys our honest talks, honest thoughts on uh, what we see in the world of sports this week. So let's start with something, though, that I uh, I don't know if you guys have been listening or not, but for the last few months, I've been uh, chiming in and, and helping out with Darren Smith's show on the ship at 810 Sports Radio WHB. And I have a blast every single time. Darren is one of my good friends here in the world, of, in the in the in the sports media world out here in Kansas City. He's been a great guy. He comes on our show. He actually is the the record holder. I think he's been on our show now 14, 15 times, and uh, I'm sure that that's going to continue to be the streak that he uh, that he holds down. He's going to have that belt for a long time. But I was on I was on the show this last Sunday, and the conversation came up between him and I in regards to elite quarterbacks currently in the NFL, and. When it comes to those types of conversations, it usually becomes something that is just based on opinion. It's not about facts or stats or anything like that. It's usually just opinion. But I try to keep it as much as close to the factual side of things as, po- as opposed to my emotional attachment or detachment to said player or said quarterback. I try to base it on a few key principles, and it's production, value, and consistency. It's usually those things. I don't usually look at the winning side of things as, as, a, as a way to uh, gauge a player's greatness because as we all know in team sports, it does take a team and we can sit here and break all that down. But I, I talked to Darren about this. He asked me the question and I told him, to me, there are only three elite quarterbacks in this league currently. To me, it's Patrick Mahomes, it's Aaron Rodgers, and Russell Wilson. Those are the three best quarterbacks in the league to me because of the fact that those three guys set themselves apart in the ability department. These are guys that can do things with the football that no other quarterback in the league can do. And I'm almost looking at it from an historic sense. They are the three most talented quarterbacks outside of maybe Brett Favre that I've ever seen throw a football. 
And it so happens they play all in the same generation. And I think that's incredible. When I brought that up to Darren, <laughs> and, and Darren's not the type of guy that, and I want to speak for him because he can come back on the show and defend himself, but Darren has been the type of guy that doesn't want to defend a guy like Tom Brady. But he felt it in himself to do so on his show. And it ended up being like a 20, 30-minute debate between him and I. It was like Kansas City's version of first take for a little bit. Um, and I own my my share of the responsibility because I went in on it as well. And I didn't budge on my stance on it, and I, and I still don't to this point. So what I did is after we had the conversation on his show, I drew a poll on our Twitter page, at The Spoken Pod, and on our Facebook page, The Spoken. I asked the listeners, I, let, I, I asked the people that are part of our, our, of our show, the contributors, do you believe that Tom Brady is still an elite quarterback in the NFL? Because I strongly stand on the side that he is not. Well, you guys all, all told me how you felt and what you guys believed, and over 60% of you on both Twitter and on Facebook agreed with my guy Darren Smith that Tom Brady is still an elite quarterback. Tom Brady, who, by the way, just turned 44 years old this last week and for some reason doesn't understand revenue structure and salary cap structure, and he's out here calling players ignorant in the NFL, which I thought was hilarious because he just seems to not understand it. You'd think a guy that's been in the league for two and a half <coughs> decades would understand it. So what I did is I was like, you know what? I'm not backing down. You guys might all disagree with me because you know what? Everyone's got the their, their right to be wrong. So I'm going to explain to you guys why all 60% of you were wrong. So Tom Brady, I, I went back three seasons. I, I think that's a fair amount of games, right? That we're talking three seasons. That's honestly the same amount of time that Patrick Mahomes has been in the league as a starter. Most relevant. since twenty, Yeah, since 2018. And over the last three seasons... Patrick or Tom Brady has played against 16 playoff teams. So that's a full schedule of football up to the 2020 season because now we have a 17-game schedule. Um, and so that's a full season if you really look at it. And his teams in that span went 8-8. Eight and eight. And in those eight losses, the Patriots' defense defenses allowed an average of 26 points per game while the Brady-led offenses averaged 20 points per game. He completed 66% of his passes, which is really good by any standard. Although, we have to contextualize this, he was averaging 6.2 yards per attempt in those games, which would have ranked 25th in the league during that span. He was throwing 255 yards per game. He had 26 touchdowns, 17 interceptions with an 84 quarterback rating. In the playoffs since 2018, Tom Brady's teams are 7-1. and one. That's obviously great, and he's won two Super Bowls. But how great was he in those eight games? He completed 62% of his passes, 278 yards, which is good too, 12 touchdowns, six interceptions with an 89 quarterback rating. I'm not even halfway through this, but does that sound like an elite, elite quarterback to you guys if I didn't put a name next to it? Not to me. Well, Patrick Mahomes is elite, and in fact... He's the best quarterback I think the league has to offer, and I don't think there's any real debate to that. And here are his numbers versus playoff teams in that exact same span. 15 games, only one fewer. His teams are 8-7, and seven, and those seven losses to playoff teams, the defenses allowed 36 points per game, while the Mahomes-led offenses averaged over 31 points per game. He completed 62% of his passes, 7.9 yards per attempt in those games, which ranked 8th in the league over that span. 315 yards per game, 43 touchdowns, only seven interceptions 
with a 105 quarterback rating. Now, what about the playoffs? Everybody likes to talk about how Patrick Mahomes doesn't play well in the Super Bowl for some damn reason. His teams are 6-2. and two. He completes 64% of his passes, which is 2% better than his regular season games against playoff teams. 291 yards per game. 21 total touchdowns. Only four interceptions with a 100 quarterback rating. What are we doing? What are we doing here? And, and then this is where I want to, I want Trevor, I want you to jump into this because I know that you're probably tired of these conversations, but I had to address it off the top. When I say that a quarterback or a player, and it doesn't even matter what, what sport we're talking about, when I say a player is not elite, that doesn't mean they suck. Right. Tom Brady does not suck at football. No. But here's the thing. He's an outlier, if we're being honest. Yes, I mean, that's, he's 44 that, years old. That's man. what that, that's what 44 years old. Yeah. Still a good quarterback. Still right. very, very serviceable. But are we gonna really sit here and pretend that in 2020 he went one in five versus playoff teams, mm. completed less than 60% of his passes, 237 yards per game, eight touchdowns, nine picks with a 73 quarterback rating, but against non-playoff teams last year, went 11 and 0, had over 290 yards per game, 32 touchdowns, and only three picks with a 127 quarterback rating. So what we're doing here is we're only looking at the numbers and saying, see, that proves he's elite. But we don't take in consideration what he does against certain competition and other certain competition. We're not taking that into consideration. And again, these are very nuanced conversations because to me, elite elite quarterbacks, elite players can be interchangeable. You mm-hmm. can go from year to year, go from elite to not elite. Tom Brady has been an elite quarterback in this league at some time. In 2007, he threw 50 touchdowns. That's an elite quarterback. But was, ironically enough, in that season, they didn't win the Super Bowl. So when we talk about success, and that was a conversation that Darren and I had on this particular topic, success can only be accounted for when it comes to the team aspect. Because we've seen Tom Brady win Super Bowls when against the Rams just a couple years ago, completed 58% of his passes, had 201 yards, zero touchdowns, and an interception, and won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Had a game against the Falcons, I'm sorry, against the Eagles, where he threw for 500 yards and lost the Super Bowl. He completed 73% of his passes. So we have to look at what they bring to the table to make this conversation fair and balanced. And that's what I'm trying to do in this conversation. Is Tom Brady a top 10 quarterback in the league? Probably. Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. Yeah. I think he's still a very I think he's still a very serviceable quarterback. Yeah. But to tell me. That he can do the things that Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers can do with a football at 44 years old is absurd. And the numbers prove it, especially in the playoffs and how different he plays in the playoff games that he even wins as opposed to what Patrick Mahomes does in games he even loses. Yeah, I mean, like when you got when you got people monitoring Patrick Mahomes' performances in camp and his, his numbers in camp and, inter- and whatever, however many interceptions that he has in camp, we got people counting that, but we don't got people – Paying attention and comparing the real life stats and the and the playoffs compared to Patrick Mahomes and, and Tom Brady, uh, you know you're elite when your people are trying to count your interceptions in camp and trying to find some kind of negative thing. No one's doing that to Tom Brady because everyone knows that he throws a fairly his fair share of interceptions in real life, so they don't got to worry about that with Patrick Mahomes. Um, so that's obviously one thing that separates the two. Uh, comparing Pat and and Tom Brady obviously is a nonsensical conversation to begin with, but like you said, you said Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and, and Patrick Mahomes. Those are your three elite quarterbacks, right? And there shouldn't be more than three, maximum four, 
I say when healthy and when not in trouble, I'd say Deshaun Watson is working his way up to that level too. Uh, and I, I definitely uh, uh, um, do think um, what's his name from the Bills. Josh, Josh Allen. Josh Allen is definitely working his way up there too, and and Lamar Jackson in some sorts, and, and at times if he develops, you know, into a better thrower of the ball, could could work his way to that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, elite is a is a is a tier that not everybody can just get into. And are, are we going to act like Tom Brady hasn't had elite years? Without a doubt, he's had elite years. He's had some great years. Um, but I mean, we're not going. I'm not going to sit here talking about Tom Brady at 44 is still an elite quarterback. He's, he's just not. You can like you just laid out the numbers very succinctly, very detailed. Um, it, you know, I I feel like you plug you plug Kirk Cousins into that Buccaneers team last year with and, plexiglass or without. <laughs> I'm just saying you plug you you name damn near any fairly good, maybe really good quarterback onto that Buccaneers team. There 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 is definitely Super Bowl chances there. I mean, you put Drew Brees, a healthy Drew Brees from last year, onto that Buccaneers team. With that, I mean, that was possibly pretty much damn near the best defense in the league last year, one of the best offensive lines, and one of the most loaded offenses all the way around. So, I mean, it's literally a, a, a dynamic. It, they're dynamic in almost every single position on that roster, and they're carrying that over damn near the same roster over into in next year. And it's this, smart. This feels like the same conversation I have when it comes to the LeBron MJ conversation. Yeah, I, this this conversation is really no. The reason why I say that is because of the fact that it almost makes you feel like you have to take a side. Yeah. Like I can't appreciate the greatness of Tom Brady because I can sit here and tell everybody on record, and I've said it numerous times, and I will continue to say it. He is by far the most successful player in history of the NFL. Mm. He is. He's the Bill Russell of the NFL. Right. And Bill Russell is regarded as one of the great players in NBA history. Yeah, and it's like it's like you said. It's not like we're knocking Tom Brady no. here. We're just simply saying he is not one of the top three quarterbacks in this league, talent-wise. He's just not. Granted, yeah, he's coming off a Super Bowl win. Or ability-wise. So everyone, and, uh, that's the thing with football especially. It's not the NBA. The NBA, a singular talent could get you over the top and be the sole reason you win a super or a championship in basketball. That's absolutely, absolutely a fact. We've seen it. Uh, but football, man, you're playing one side, every individual talent. There's not a guy that plays defense and offense, you know? So this is not Tom Brady was leaning very much on that, on depending very much on that defense, just as much as they were on him offensively. Well, I'd say more defensively than they were on his offensive repertoire and, and talent. Um, we've seen what he can do in and outside of a pocket. Right, so he's definitely limited. If you're an elite quarterback, there's not limits to your game. If I'm being completely honest with you, very. I mean, there's very few occasions. Obviously, Peyton Manning was never a good guy out of the, outside of the pocket making extending plays. He wasn't terrible at it, but he was never that guy. But when you're an elite category of the top of the top talent, Tom Brady's not a top of the top talent in this league anymore. It's just not. And it's not like you said. It's not a knock. It's this reality. It's okay to accept that. It's okay to say. And I, I, I truly do believe that. We wouldn't really be having this conversation if the Chiefs were to win the Super Bowl, and the, the, the he, and, and Tom Brady's not coming off a Super Bowl victory because that definitely makes it easier for people to still continue the, the 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 idea that Tom Brady is and has been elite for the last handful of years. It's just not true. He's not just an, like he's not think, an elite talent. Just like I think the conversation about him being the best at what he does as an individual wouldn't be a conversation yeah. if a lot of things that were outside of Brady's control didn't go the way they Success did. Success does not equate to talent. That's that's what I'm Period. Trying, this is what I try to tell people all the time, and this is something I brought up to Darren in his own, in the show when he said he because he his voice his 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 opinion was success is everything. That's not and, and I broke it down in the most simple fraction. I said Okay, so let's just stay with quarterbacks. Who is the better quarterback between Trent Dilfer and Dan Marino? 
Right. It's Dan Marino without question. Yeah, but there's got to be context. But there, Trent, right? Trent Dilfer was a starting quarterback for a Super Bowl winning team. Right. You know, like we can go down the list. Eli Manning has two Super Bowls. Brett Favre has one. Who's the better quarterback? Right. Brett Favre by a mile. So there, we're sitting here, and we're and, and and again, I'm not trying to like like split hairs here because we're talking about Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. But the conversation has to be honest at some point. We have to look at this for what it really is. We know that Tom Brady has done great things. Mm-hmm. We know he has had great times, like you said. He's had great seasons. He's been an MVP multiple yes, times. He's in had this elite years, no yes, doubt. But we yeah. can't sit here and act as if success is everything when we're sitting here talking about individuals because individuals don't have equal opportunity. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. If you put People in a Belichick system and in the AFC East all those years, put Alex Smith out there. They're winning a couple Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. It's all about circumstance, and it's so funny because we'll, people are unafraid to use that same narrative against Patrick Mahomes. Well, he has the perfect situation. He's got Andy <laughs> Reid, and it's like that's okay to say. Yeah. But if I sit here and say Vinatieri won Tom Brady three rings, or if I sit here and say Malcolm Butler doesn't get that interception, they lose for a fourth Super Bowl. Yeah. If we don't sit here and talk about the fact that, 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 that some of the worst calls in the history of the NFL and the AFC Championship or D Ford lining up off sides doesn't happen – he doesn't get to the Super and beat the Rams. No, like, yeah. There's no, a lot you can of literally use You can literally lo- use last year because the Bucks had the most loaded roster in the NFL last Healthy year. Healthy roster, too. And people are still calling Tom Brady elite because he won the Super Bowl and his numbers or whatever. It, but, but, they're, but they're flipping that same exact argument on its head to use against Patrick Mahomes, saying he has everything. When Tom Brady has everything, but he's elite, Patrick Mahomes isn't, isn't as good as he's marked up to be because he has everything. Right. You can't use that same argument for both sides. Five yeah. starting offensive linemen throughout the duration of last season. Right. And then you're talking about Tom Brady benefiting off of that defense, literally licking their chops and having Patrick Mahomes scramble for 697 yards in that Super Bowl. Right. It's not fair. And also the fact, and we're just going to sit here and ignore things, the fact that Tom Brady threw three interceptions in one quarter in the NFC Championship and his, still, his team still carried him to a victory where Aaron Rodgers doesn't try to go for that touchdown. Mm. Matt LaFord decides to kick a field goal that doesn't get them any closer closer to a victory than if they were to go for a touchdown. It literally kept them from going from down one possession to being down one possession. It changed nothing. So there's a lot of things that broke right for Tom Brady. Am I sitting here knocking him? No. He's a seven-time Super Bowl champion. Right. The most successful Success. player ever. Yep. But we can't – see, this is why I'm saying we can't use those examples as to why a player is great because it, it, it's, an, it's dishonest at some point. A lot of people think Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. He doesn't have the most rings. In fact, he's tied ninth. For most rings. Hmm. Is he the ninth greatest player ever? No. People would slap me for saying that. So eventually it's got to matter what you do as a player, what you can do as a player in order to make you what you are, not what your team did or didn't do. That's that's absurd. But I want to move along because we have old, a couple other older players to talk about in this segment. I don't know if you guys have been keeping up, but the Lakers have become the league of extraordinarily old gentlemen. Now, this is what's funny, man, because I've been hearing all week long that the Lakers, and it's funny too because it's, it's pinned by the same people. The Lakers are too old to win a title, <laughs> but they're a super team. That has been my favorite thing all week because you got to pick one. It's got yes, you have to draw. You have to. There's a line in the sand mm. before this next season kicks off, which it'll be here before we know. It. It's going to be in October. Yeah, <clears throat> can't wait. You have to you have to choose a side on this before the season starts, and that's what LeBron was saying. And I really wish he wouldn't deleted the tweet because that to me just takes away from his mm. message, which I love by the way. Was him say, was 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 whether you're going to sit here and tell me this team isn't a, isn't an NBA favorite because of the age on the team or because of the talent they have is going to make them a favorite? Well, I wanted to break this one down, and again, 
We're going to get to plenty of Chiefs talk in the second segment, but bear with us because there was a lot of news that happened in the NBA that with, in particular with this. So the current, the current Lakers roster average age is 31 years old. It's a pretty old damn team in most regards. And I'm seeing a lot of takes, again, that are saying this team just they can't get it done because they're just too damn old. They're going to have to deal with injuries. They're going to deal with guys that just want to play a certain way because they played that way for all their careers. Well, I want to break this down real quick. So there have been six teams that have won an NBA title with an average roster of uh, average roster age of 31 or older. The 95-96 Bulls, the 2006 Spurs, 96-97 Bulls, 1968 Celtics, the 2010-2011 Mavericks, and the 97-98 Bulls. So according to that list, the Bulls dynasty won half their titles as an old team. In fact, the 97-98 Bulls team were a full year older on an average than this current Lakers roster. Mm. And when we talk about the greatest team of all time, so many folks will tell you that it's without question the 96 Bulls. According to this list, they were old and have sh- and shouldn't have been able to win a championship. And since everyone is throwing dirt on this aging Lakers vets, these la- these aging Lakers vets, can someone show me the roster listed above that has more talent than this current Lakers roster? Every team formerly mentioned had at least two Hall of Famers, five of them had at least three, and one had four, which was the 1968 Celtics. Those teams won titles. Mm-hmm. Despite how old they were, they had immense talent. Well, this current Lakers roster has five Hall of Fame players. And not just the talent aspect to consider, these older veteran players have one common goal in mind, and that's to do just that, win the damn thing. So why can a team with more Hall of Fame talent than any of these other teams listed above not do the same, especially when they currently have three of the 10 best players in the world with one goal in mind, which is to pull it off? And all respect to those previous six teams mentioned, but they didn't have that much superstar talent. This team does, and to me, this is why I'm confidently picking this team to already win the 2021-2022 NBA Finals. Trevor, what are your thoughts? Yeah, man. I mean, we still got some time to sit here and, and, and let this stew more and more, and there's still moves to be made, mind you. There's, the Lakers still got, have Schroeder on, the, on this roster, and he's going to be moved. Um, and you know, there's, there's still, I think pieces to come. I do believe that. And I think two of the more underrated signings too, are the young guys that they got, you know, Malik Monk and, and, and Kendrick Nunn, those two guys. And then they extended, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, the young cat that was on the roster last year, Taylor Horton. Yeah, yeah. I like him too. He's very, very energetic guy. So it's not like they, it's not like they're a bunch of like, you know, they don't need, they need a bunch of walkers out there and let's not act like Russ is an old player. Yeah. He's older in age. He's getting up there, but the guy is still has one of the best motors, if not the best motor in the NBA still Russ is still very. And then this opportunity for us, we might see the most inspired Russell Westbrook we've ever seen. Um, you know, playing alongside LeBron and AD and having the biggest opportunity of his career ever to get a ring is this year. Um, so I think, and then Melo as well. This is his best opportunity. He's had an incredible Hall of Fame career. I'm excited, man. I don't know why people are shitting on this. I don't know why people are trying, trying to turn this into a negative thing. This is super exciting to see this. You know, this is more of a, this is a pretty rare thing, honestly, if we're being honest, like to see this much accumulation. Guys like Dwight coming back. You know, after having a good run with the Lakers, with LeBron, and played well with them, having his previous run with Kobe and Nash, and then that was obviously a, a magnificent failure. 
So this is like this is Dwight's third coming to LA. This is a kind of a cool thing to see. Um, I'm excited. I'm not a Laker fan. I'm a LeBron guy, obviously. So I'm rooting for whatever situation he's in. But I mean, as a basketball fan, this has got to be exciting. You know, you have the juggernaut next Nets in the East. Obviously, they they went down with injuries. No one wants to talk about those injuries possibly happening again this year. You know, three injury riddled guys over the last handful of years. But no one wants to talk about that just because they're younger, I guess. Um, you know, and we got Russ and you got. Carmelo, guys that have had a pretty good bill of health most of their, most of their careers. So I don't know why we're talking about. I mean, literally, AD is the only one you really got to worry about health. So I don't know why we're talking about injuries in the Lakers. That doesn't really make much sense. Granted, LeBron was banged up last year, slight with an ankle. But I mean, when has LeBron James ever been an injury riddled guy? That's just not the case. He comes into every single season ready to go. Granted, if there's a freak thing that happens, that is what it is. But as an NBA fan myself, I'm stoked on this, man. And I don't see anyone. I know you made your pick already. I don't see I, I'm not going to solidify my pick yet, but I think we know where I'm going. But I don't think I don't see anybody in the West outside of maybe that the Warriors come back revamped and, 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 and motivated and they make a, make another move to get maybe a Dame Lillard or a Ben Simmons or something drastic like that. Maybe they would be some good comp. I mean, we still got the Nuggets. Obviously, it's still a solid team, top to bottom roster, very, very good team, Utah Jazz. Is anybody really going to pick any of those teams to go against the Lakers in, in a in a, in a seven-game series? No. No honest person, honest with themselves, is going to pick any of those teams over this Lakers roster. And like, just, I, and, and, and like I've said before, I think we even talked about this last week when Russell Westbrook signed with the Lakers. Yeah, that alone was huge. L- look, at, look at how many guys that are currently on this roster don't, ha- that don't have a ring. They're mm-hmm. veteran players. Wayne Ellington, yeah. Russell Westbrook. You can go down with Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony, not only Carmelo Anthony, but Carmelo Anthony coming into a role, knowing what his role is, right. coming off a, a, his a career best season, shooting the three point range. That's, I mean, well, motivated more yeah. than ever. All these guys, and I broke this down last week about how many superstar players that have teamed up with LeBron won their first and only rings with LeBron James. Right. I see that same trend happening here. It's it's all written. Like it's, yeah. it, it feels like it's all been written in stone that this is now Carmelo Anthony's swan song. It's his opportunity to get his ring, and then he's going to go out in a blaze of glory, yeah. retire, being a champion. That's like the most point because we've all been waiting for years now for LeBron and Carmelo to inevitably play together. Yeah, we saw the way that happened, and I think that this is how it's going to go. Just like we've seen with Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade's second act as a champion was with LeBron James. Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving's only true successes with LeBron James. Yeah, it's the same. And I, thing. I know, I know, I know. You alluded to the the obviously the Bulls runs and all these other dynasties. The majority of those dynasties, when they were successful, the most successful, they were aged veterans. That's that. That's what I don't understand. Like almost every single show I've been watching with all these talking heads, it, it, it's coming down to age and injuries. When when was the last like outside of the Warriors dynasty, which was an absolute outlier in the NBA history? Name other young teams, <laughs> young NBA teams that were just massively successful. Yeah, would you rather? It yeah, doesn't happen point. outside of that Warriors team. Yeah, it just to, doesn't to happen. That point, to that point, would would people have rather the Lakers went and just got a bunch of young average players? Yeah. yeah. Like a bunch of just like random dudes. But I mean, who, just... who are all the best players in the league? It's not these, not these exactly. young cats. There's a lot of young guys coming. The Donovan Mitchells, the Trey Youngs, the you know Jason Tatum's, the Don, the Luka yeah, Doncic. Those guys, want those guys aren't doing yes. anything because it, it takes time to really become an absolute solidified star in this league and know how to lead. You have to know how to win. And you've mentioned it numerous times on the show. Leading is an entirely different skill, and it's very rare. That's what makes LeBron so great is his leadership abilities and knowing which guys to pick and and be and surround himself with to succeed because he always finds a way to do it. So I, I, yeah, I mean the age the age argument is is 
beyond me because, like I said, the Malik Monks, Kendrick Nung taking far less money to join this roster because he also he always obviously knows there's something special about this roster. And I'm not going to sleep on them. They have young rotational guys that are that are very you know motivated and and and, and fast paced guys. So I'm not. And like I said, there's still moves to be made. This roster is not complete yet. Yeah. Schroeder's going to be on the move. They're going to find another piece, maybe a piece or two, to fill this roster. I'm excited, man. So I'm excited to see what's going to go on with the rest of this this uh, this season coming up. Well, there's also a couple other contracts in the NBA that I wanted to address real quick because I feel they matter very much because they're two of the most prolific players in the NBA with Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard agreeing to uh, contract extensions with their teams, their respective teams right now. We do have the numbers with Kevin Durant. And the Brooklyn Nets coming to an agreement, which he will be eligible starting tomorrow, uh, which will be Saturday. Uh, Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant agree to a four-year, $198 million extension. Um, And look, I'm not surprised that KD got paid. That's not what surprises me about this one. What surprises me is that that Kevin Durant decided to get a four-year deal at age 33. But then again, I thought about it. I'm like, you know, this is the most KD move ever. And why is that? Because in Brooklyn, no one's going to give a shit if and when KD fails. Case in point, they failed this year. Yeah. How much? Pe- how many people are sitting here bashing Kevin Durant about mm-hmm. it? No one. Because no one really cares about Brooklyn basketball. But if it had been, yeah, if it had been Le- Brooklyn, if it had been LeBron, you got to know where your you got to know where your foot's at at all times when you shoot a jumper, man. The, the, well, the, the expectations aren't there. What my first reaction when I saw this contract go down was: first of all, obviously, congratulations to KD. That's great, man. Of He's course. got two hundred million dollars. Get your bag, man. Kevin Durant is done winning titles. Now I know everyone's going to sit here and say, well, the Nets are one of the favorites to win the title next year. They're not winning the title next year, guys. Let, let's 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 treat them the same way we have with the Clippers now. And everyone's starting to come on my side with this. When I've been telling y'all for two years that the Clippers are fraudulent. The Nets are fraudulent. Do they have names? Yes. How are those te- how are those names panning out, guys? And it's so funny because people talk about the condensed schedule last year going into this this season, the 2020 season, and how all these injuries happened. Well, they happened to certain players because of that, but not Kevin Durant, not James Harden, and not Kyrie Irving. Why? Because the year before, Kyrie didn't even make the playoffs. Kevin Durant was still uh, battling an injury from an Achilles tear, and James Harden got knocked out in the first round. So it wasn't because of a condensed schedule. Those guys struggled the way they did with their bodies. It's because of the fact these guys are focused on a lot of other things outside of basketball. And it it paid dividends on my end when I told y'all from the very beginning when James Harden signed with the Nets or they traded him to the Nets, they are not winning a championship. And it's been proven again. Kevin Durant is playing basketball because that's what he wants to do. It's not because he's out here trying to win a bunch of championships. He said it multiple times. I just want to play basketball. Well, he's going to play a lot of basketball in Brooklyn for the next four years. They're not going to win titles, though, because I, first of all, don't trust his body. Don't trust Kyrie's mind or body. And I don't think James Harden's a winner naturally. He's a great stat filler, and I love that about him. But his game does not result in championships. It's not the style. Even Kobe Bryant. Everyone loves quoting Kobe Bryant. How about we quote that one? When he talks about James Harden's style doesn't win championships. It's been proven time and time again, and he'll be 32 next season, not getting any younger. He's only starting to start getting injured and break Mm -hmm. down a little bit. Terrible defender. None of them can play defense at a high level. They don't have the roster to do it, and I don't trust Brooklyn as a franchise to build a roster on Kevin Durant to win said titles. And then we move to the, the Kawhi Leonard situation. 
So we don't know at this point, and maybe you're listening to this later in the week, and we do know the actual numbers. But we knew we know that Kawhi Leonard has agreed to the to to an extension with the Clippers. We don't know the years, we don't know the numbers, but I'm going to believe that it's going to be a max deal because Kawhi Leonard, with the injury he just suffered, he's going to want assurances. He's not going to want to do a one for one because that makes no sense because he's not playing next season. So he's looking for a long term deal with the Clippers. To me. This is beyond foolish for the Clippers, but I understand why the Clippers did it because they're a franchise that have been overlooked and mocked and ridiculed because they're in the same city of the maybe winningest, arguably the most winningest franchise in basketball history, NBA history. So they want to get their name, and that's why they went and overspent on Kevin or not Kawhi Leonard. That's why they went and overtraded for Paul George because of desperation. That is what this move is. It is an act of desperation because this wasn't a good basketball move for a lot of reasons. One, Kawhi Leonard is now on the wrong side of 30, and he was already broken down in his early 20s, so that's not going to get any better. So he's not a leader of men. He's not an alpha to win championships. I know everyone's going to point to the Raptors one. Let's contextualize that one for a second. The only reason why the Raptors won that, that, that finals in 2019 was because the Warriors broke down. Mm-hmm. That is the single reason why that team won. But even in that case, let's say the Raptors were legitimate champions and you can't take nothing away from them. They were 17 and six that year without Kawhi Leonard. That team was fine without Kawhi. Would they have won the title without him? No. But they also wouldn't have won the title with the facts I just broke down, which is Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson both getting injured in that series. Had both been healthy, they won that series in five against the Raptors. So Kawhi Leonard has proven himself time and time again that he is more unreliable than reliable. So now they are hitching their wagon fully for the foreseeable future to a guy you can't rely on in a health in- in- uh, uh, instance. But here's the other part of it. Kawhi Leonard didn't even disclose his surgery to the Clippers. They had to find out through third parties. Skip Bayless knew before the Clippers did. He's announcing it on his show, and the Clippers didn't even know at that point. How <laughs> embarrassing is that? So this marriage is already doomed to fail as it is, and as I've been telling you guys for two years, this franchise is fraudulent, Kawhi Leonard is fraudulent, Paul George, although a really good player, is fraudulent in the playoffs, and it's been proven for the last two years it is not going to get any better. I mean, I will give Paul George credit for this past postseason. He definitely performed well against us, against the Suns and stepped it up big time. He had almost every single game he was having a great outing uh, against that Suns team. Uh, and I, I do believe if Kawhi, if Kawhi was present and, and on the on the court at that, at that time and available, I think that the Clippers would have actually been in the finals. And that's my opinion. I do think that. Um, I think they were better than that Suns team, if I'm being honest. Um, but but we've seen the overwhelming body of work for Paul George obviously shows you the opposite. I mean, granted there's going to be outlier seasons and series where people outperform. Uh, we've seen, you know, other players, random players have blow up series and, and be the reason that they push their team over the top. Um, so listen, I, I was never like a massive believer in the Clippers. I thought they would definitely compete with LeBron and the Lakers, which they should be, but they've never happened to meet in a, in a, you know, in a series to where they really have to have a, a, a duel, um, but I mean, you know where I stand. I stand similar to where you stand because obviously I think LeBron is just the, uh, everyone had wanted to claim Kawhi, the King of LA when he went to the Clippers and this, it's just, it's been a debacle, man, since he's been there and he just can't stay healthy it is what it is. You know, if they want to pay him that money, go for it. That's a very, very high risk, low reward, um, situation. I say low reward because even if Kawhi is healthy all the way through the postseason and the regular season and everything. And he's, he is who he is. He's Kawhi Leonard. And Paul George is playing playing like Paul George. Uh, is that still enough to beat this Lakers team? Is it still enough to feel confident? I mean, they went, what, seven games with the the, the um, Mavericks. 
You know what I mean? So, is it, I mean, if, they, if they're going, if they're forcing seven games with the Mavericks, with Luca pretty much doing damn near everything on that in that series, and they could not stop him for the life of them. Who, who, I mean, what, are, are the Clippers fans confident? I would say no. If I'm a Clippers fan, I'm upset right now. You're, you're overpaying for a guy that's probably not even going to be available next season. So you're waiting, literally, you're sacrificing an entire season to overpay a guy who's a part-time superstar in this league, for being honest. And I say part-time because it's his availability. So and it is what it is, man. I mean, I'm not the Katie. The Katie thing, I expected. I expected Katie. I didn't. I didn't expect Katie to move on anywhere else and try to make you know play. I, I know he likes being in New York. That's fine. Um, get his money. LeBron just needs to sign a new eight-year contract. You know, worth two plus two hundred plus million dollars, just to kind of overshadow that one. But no, I, I mean, listen. I, good for Katie. I, I think that Nets team is. They were very exciting. And I honestly, as a basketball fan, me, I'm a basketball fan. I don't hate these players. I don't have a personal beef between these with these players. I'm I'm not a big fan of Katie's personality, but as a basketball fan, I absolutely drool watching Katie play basketball. It's a it's a fantasy being fulfilled in front of our eyes every night. The guy's one of the greatest talents we've ever seen in this game. So I mean, I love I love watching Brooklyn play basketball last year. It was fun. It was very entertaining. And who doesn't want to see the Nets and Lakers in the finals? And watch the Lakers win, you know. So that'd be that'd be a great series, and I hope I hope that happens. I really hope us as fans get that juggernaut of a series. I, I thought it was funny though. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up some national guys real quick. Uh, I, I love our guy Nick Wright, mm-hmm. uh, which by the way, he absolutely bodied Colin Coward today <laughs> on his own show, which was hilarious about yeah. Patrick Mahomes, which we could talk about in a little bit. Um, I thought it was funny that Chris Broussard was on there talking about how. The Lakers, he can't confidently pick them to win the title because of their age and injury concerns, but then goes and says that he's picking the Nets to be his title favorites when their entire team, which is built upon KD, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, have all missed a combined 240 games over the last three years. You guys do understand that is what? Almost 80 games. Well, that is 80 games combined mm. a piece over the last three years. So that's what over 25 30 games a year they've all missed i mean is he pick, 27 is he games picking clay thompson is? to be mvp of the league you know what i'm saying like <laughs> that's what i'm saying like I, it's just weird to me like how the mentality is that we're sitting here talking about the nets oh yeah, yeah. they're they're definitely title favorites they literally have three injury prone players yeah. as their best players I, I don't understand anyway so that's what's going on in the nba man i wanted to cover that i wanted to address that I wanted to get some facts off about uh tom brady and my guy darren smith out there tripping I always appreciate when I get to go and hang talking out with him. <laughs> talking about camp interceptions. Come on, man. He called me out, too. He's on here yeah. calling me out. But I'm like, bro, Drew Locke went like a week and a half without throwing a pick. We sitting here crowning him as the AFC West Kings. He's the GOAT. Come on now. Yeah. Well, speaking of football, that's what this next segment's about, boys. We're going to talk about some Chiefs stuff, man. What's going on in the camp, man. What, we, what we're seeing, what we're hearing. We're going to break down some things, some ideas of what I think that needs to happen, some things that I was 100% right on months ago in regards to this Chiefs team and some of the young nucleuses they're building. Man, I cannot wait to talk some Chiefs football with y'all, man. We might even throw a little extra NFL uh, topics in there as well. Stay tuned, though, man, because it's going to be fun. We'll get back to that after this. Back 
at it again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number two. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Spoken Studios with Trevor Twidwell. It was good. So, man, we, we, uh, we've already impacted a lot of things when it comes to Tom Brady and, the, and the, the, the stance I have on all that. If you're sick of it, I don't really care because, like I said, y'all are, y'all have your opinions. Y'all are allowed to be wrong. I just need to drop some facts tonight. But we also talk a little NBA, and I, I Trevor and I can do that all night. We can create another podcast regarding NBA talk. But we need to talk about some important stuff here in Kansas City, which is the Kansas City Chiefs. Things are re- gearing up, guys. We're just a little over a week away from their first preseason game. This is an exciting time. We just watched that horrific shit of a game in the in the Hall of Fame game. The best part about it, let me just real quick say, I, I was I was I felt so fortunate to be able to see Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones sitting together and like making amends. Mm-hmm. It was I almost got emotional. I'm not a Cowboys fan, yeah. but being a football fan and knowing how like these two guys are titans of NBA or NFL legendary, like they're just two legends. These two polarizing figures. Yeah. To be button heads all these years and to, to see the way things ended for them, to see them sitting there talking about things and then announcing that they're going to put Jerry or Jimmy Johnson in the Ring of right. Honor in, in Dallas was just so cool, man. Like it was just surreal to watch. So hats off to them. That was a bet by far the best part of that entire night. And and I think that Cowboys fans need to be worried about Dak Prescott's shoulder because that can be pretty dangerous. But things are good here in Kansas City right now, guys. I'm just letting y'all know. I don't want to see sit here and, and and be hyperbolic all day long, but man. You can't help but feel excited about this. As I talked uh, with Darren on his show last week on 810, the thing about the thing that excites me the most is we all know that fan bases around the NFL, this is the time of year when everyone starts drinking the Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. Oh, this could be the year my team turns around, that we could be Super Bowl contenders, oh, this, 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 you know, getting excited. And that's okay. That's that's what it's about, right? To be excited, to be looking forward to this, because football's king, man. We all love football that are listening to this, or at least the majority of us. And if you don't, you're missing out. But the difference here in Kansas City and why our excitement here is different, not not just because of what's been going on over the last couple of years where the Chiefs have been to three straight AFC championships and two straight Super Bowls, and they got the best quarterback in the world, they got the best head coach in the world, they got the best tight end in the world, they got some of the best best defensive players in the world, they have an awesome young running back, they got a new and improved offensive line. No, no, not, not all that, none of that. It's the fact that with all those things considered, this team got better this offseason from the draft, from free agency to development of players who were on this team over the last year or two. That is what excites me the most. The best roster we've had since Pat's been here. I think this is the best roster in the history of, of the Chiefs. I'm with it, yeah. From just a talent standpoint alone. And not to mention the fact this now this this coaching staff mm. has been together now completely for three years. Yeah. That is something you never see in the NFL, let alone here in Kansas City. Because we know... We've had a lot of great coaches come through this door in here oh, in Kansas yeah. City. I mean, Bill Cowher was a defensive coordinator here before he went on his run with the Pittsburgh Steelers. We've seen Herm Edwards and Marty Schottenham and all these other guys work their way up through this fan this 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 franchise. So to see this 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 team hold down the fort the way they have with the people they have in place is nothing short of incredible. But I want to talk about a few key things in camp that I want to and I, I, let's go right to the offensive line first and foremost. Do it. A couple of months ago, we talked on this show, and I had a few shows that I was doing on the side that we no longer do now. But all the way back in May, when we saw the draft go the way that they did, and I had my ultimate takeaways from those draft picks, there were two guys that stood out to me the most. It was Creed Humphrey, and it was Trey Smith. Now, Creed Humphrey 
was probably the least shocking part of it when it came to who could potentially start in this offensive line of the rookies because this was a top 70 pick. Mm-hmm. He was out of Oklahoma, a very prestigious program in school, never gave up a sack in college. He had 1,600-plus pass snap protections. He was, he was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't that shocking. But I said, I think he's a day-one starter, even though the Chiefs brought in Austin Blythe, a former starter, uh, starting center out of uh, Los Angeles for the Rams, really good player in his own regard. But Creed Humphrey's yeah. special. Right. And I'm that's why you're seeing him day one getting day one reps or first string reps. Mm. But then there's Trey Smith. And I remember saying this in some videos that I'm going to share the moment it's announced that both these guys will be starters on this offensive line is the fact that Trey Smith, to me, might be the most special player of this draft mm. because of the fact that he, day one of training camp, as a six-round pick, was lined up with these starting guys, Orlando Brown Jr., Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, and then you had Mike Rimmers at first. He's by far the best value in the draft. Without question. Yeah. And that's what I'm looking at. The fact that the Chiefs are getting themselves a dog, a dog at right tackle. He wants wants all the smoke. That wants all the smoke. That the moment is not too big for him. In fact, he's too big for the moment, if we're being honest here. And I'm not trying to hype this guy up. Just go watch the videos yourself. He's going against an elite pass rusher in Chris Jones. He's going against solid pass rushers like Jaron Reed and and, 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 uh, 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 Wharton. Mm -hmm. Those are guys that he has to go up against in camp every single day. And if anything, it would expose what he's made of faster than going against mediocrity. Mm -hmm. That's why I said the best thing that could have happened to Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey is having to go against the dogs like Chris Jones and Jaron Reed and and getting opportunities like that. And here's the other thing. When I talked about this on other shows as well, about how being a young guy for a team like this that has a standard, a set standard of winning championships, you walk in with a natural-born pressure. But for these young guys, the majority of them, they're walking in this going, I just got to play my my part. Yeah. I don't have to be the guy that's expected to lead. That's Patrick Mahomes' job. That's Travis Kelsey's job. Mm-hmm. That's what those guys do. That's what Tyron Matthew does. I'm not going to be one of the focal points. I just got to come in here and just do my job. And that's what you're hearing these young guys do. And they're playing for a coach that understands that better than any other coach in the NFL. So just, I just want to start right there, Trevor, from the offensive line. I want to get your takeaways on it because to me, this is everything I wanted to see. You know, I'm a part of the Niang gang. I started that hashtag, by the way. Lucas Niang, to me, is going to be the starting right tackle. I think the Mike Rimmers, he's had the back spasms. I think that's given an opportunity for Lucas Niang to show what he is. And I think he's a starter. Mike Rimmers, fine. Swing tackle guy. I think he's a good backup. I don't want to see him as a starter. But I think that the offensive line is going to be as exactly as I predicted it. Joe, uh, Orlando Brown Jr., right left tackle. Joe Tooney, left guard, Austin, or, uh, Creed Humphrey, center, Trey Smith, right guard, and then Lucas Yang Yang Gang on the right tackle. What are your thoughts, man? The fact that we can even have this conversation right now, the fact that we can even talk about the depth and who should and shouldn't start the O-line, the fact that we have talent sitting behind talent, fighting for these spots and who is the best for these spots, we have competent talent trying to fight out for spots, and either, either, either one of these guys could start. The fact that we have competent starters fighting – together to win starting positions at the O-line position is all I need. <laughs> That's all I needed heading into the season, knowing that we have that kind of depth with guys fighting and chomping at the bit. Young guys, might I add you, that are you know trying to make their, their stamp in this league. You know, guys that were uh, uh, or the Orlando Browns of the world playing a position they didn't want to play uh, for their, for their you know, previous um, employee. Now coming to a better opportunity, job opportunity, to and playing the position he wanted to play all along. 
I mean, the motivation is all around. I mean, you got, you know, you got your Creed. I've been hearing nothing but Creed and just seeing the film on Creed. He's just a big bully. And it's like, you can just see it. it's in his nature. He's like one of those, it's like the, like the blind side movie. This sort of reminds me of it. It's like, he has that innate protection where you just see him. He's just a, a wall of a man. Uh, and I love it. Um, and then obviously, yeah, Trey Smith. I mean, Niang, we don't really know what he's capable of yet, but we've heard nothing but good things. We wanted to see it last year. We just weren't able to. Granted, his decision, respected all the way around. Um, but Trey Smith, man, is this I, I 100% on board with what you're saying. He, he's he's that guy. He is he's that dirty dude. He invites the he wants all of it. He wants you to bring your best. And the fact that these guys are going against, you know, the Frank Clarks, the Chris Joneses, and you know, the Jaron Reeds and all these, you know, the the Noddies and you know, all these guys that are just strong as hell, dudes, quick off the edge, gonna make you fight every single time, gonna make to bring the best out of you every single week, every single day of practice. They're gonna be overcompensating. Their muscle memory is gonna be almost too good when they go against lesser competition. And that's what you want. Right, so I mean, it's it's a perfect balance of what we need headed into this season. You know, we need more production from our defense, and I think we're going to get that this year. We want obviously an actual competent O line. We're going to get that and more this year. We might have the best O line in the NFL this year. That's a possibility. Granted, it's young talent is talent. I don't care, especially when you're the size that we have now, and the, just the motivation factor alone for me for the Trey Smiths being under, un, you know, uh, underdrafted, and and him wanting to be uh, wanting to go higher, obviously being a first round talent. Um, that alone for him is huge. Niang finally getting his chance to really have his for his rookie year is huge. Uh, but he's already had a season, a, a pass to be acclimated and know the playbook and and know what he's needing to do. Just now he's just going to get on the field and actually do it. Uh, that's huge. Creed, obviously, I think is a day one starter, a ready to go guy. Uh, and then Orlando Brown, you know, being the, the biggest move of the offseason for us, obviously, at the most important outside of the quarterback position offensively, the most important position, uh, protecting Patrick Mahomes on his blind side. So, listen, dude, like, yeah, I'm with you on this, man. The O line is the most exciting thing heading into. We could be excited about this offense maybe reverting back to its 2018 yeah. uh, 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 momentum and ability to put up 50 on any given night. That's exciting in itself, but that doesn't happen without the O-line. That's what makes this O-line so exciting moving forward. It's just giving Pat, like you said, the UPU post the numbers when Pat has a clean pocket. He's his, his pass rating. He has a 126 career quarterback rating in a clean pocket. I mean, that is literally all you need to know. And that's and that's not even a big uh, um, that's not a big uh, uh, pile of information to really go from because Patrick, a lot of his plays has had to create outside of the pocket because he's never had a great O-line since he's been a part of this, this franchise. So... That's the most exciting thing heading into it, man, and, no doubt. And here's the coolest thing about this offensive line is that, you know, I understand, I get that, that people are concerned about having that much youth mm. to protect Patrick Mahomes because we saw how bad that Super Bowl ended up being and how Patrick was running for his life, literally and figuratively. Right. But here's the best part you, you, you kind of alluded to it when it came to talent is talent. Mm. But with the talent, I mentioned the fact that we have a nucleus at our in our coaching staff that has such a rapport. And a proven commodity, unlike almost any coaching staff in the league at this point, that I would trust them above anybody to be able to develop these young guys to be as prepared as possible for week one. Now, yeah. they're going to have to be because week one, they're going to go against a juggernaut front seven of the of the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. So this is, to me, like everything's setting up perfectly because, again, they're getting, they're getting practice against elite pass rushers like Chris Jones. They're getting an opportunity to be coached by the best coaching staff, in my opinion, in the NFL. And they're going to be tested early and often in the first five weeks of the season against some tough defenses. So 
to me, I think that this te- this this front this front line is going to be galvanized very quickly and can turn into, like you said, maybe the best offensive line in football. And that's not hyperbole because mm-hmm. I truly believe the talent's that, there. Yeah, the talent it's, is there. It's there. It's yeah. there, and it's untapped. And I think that you're going to see a lot. These guys have a lot to prove. And knowing that they're protecting the world's best player in Patrick Mahomes, that adds so much more incentive. So the talent's plus, there, and the urgency is there. And plus the fact that no one's really talked about this because I think everyone just knows that Orlando Brown's going to be great. But no one's really talking about the fact this is a contract year for him. Mm. Yep. This is a contract year for Orlando Brown. He wants that extension, so yeah. we're not even talking about necessarily just the young guys. We're talking about the guy that everyone just automatically assumes is going to be great. Mm-hmm. Orlando Brown is playing for his next contract. And he's playing at the position he wanted to play all along. Right. So, so he's that. getting an opportunity yeah. to make himself some serious coin. If he protects Patrick Mahomes, that's only going to add to his bet. On his top bank of account. knowing that if he does get paid, it could possibly be the Chiefs keeping him around and extending him and him being a part of a possible dynasty. I would be shocked if Orlando Brown isn't the Chiefs. Oh, I'm just, I'm just, yeah, I'm but just, you're yeah. right. You're right. I'm just saying that. I know, and I'm thinking, put myself in his head, like, yeah. man, okay, not only will I get paid, but I'll be a part of a, a possible, more than likely dynasty for the next decade plus. And listening to him talk and the way he articulates his thought process, yeah, well spoken. He's too. already one of my favorite Chiefs. Yeah. Like. I just love his mentality. I love Trey Smith's mentality. Like, there's so much to love about just this offensive line alone, but we're not going to stop there yeah. because there's also the other pieces around. We've I, I, On this show in particular, we've talked about who's going to benefit significantly off the set offensive yeah, line. Your boy's going off right now. McCall Hardman, guys, <laughs> I'm letting you all know right now, as I've been telling you all for over a year, yeah. he's going to be silencing some critics. You know why, guys? You know why I feel more confident about that now than ever? Not just because this is year three and this is a prove-it year for McColl because he can get himself an extension this year if he balls out. And the Chiefs are going to want to do that because if he balls out this year, they're like, yeah, we're not going to let him go and get another year because then we're going to have to pay Tyreek and McColl, and you don't want to do that. Right. McColl Hardman, if you listen to what he's saying in his press conferences, he sounds like an adult. And that's not something we heard he's over the evolved, last two he's seasons. He's an evolved man. We've yeah. not heard that over the last two seasons. We've heard about you know him having some immaturities and not practicing and not taking things seriously, not getting his route tree developed. We're seeing all of that now because I think, I think McCole Harbin now realizes there is actual expectation on him because when he got drafted, yes, there was expectation to replace Tyreek. But the moment Tyreek was found innocent, that kind of went away where it wasn't really the focus of being the next Tyreek. So that kind of went away from him. He can just kind of play his role. Now, with Sammy Watkins gone and out of the picture completely, not just being injured all the time, but actually not being in town at all, I think McColl now feels that pressure that I need to ball. I need to go out here and perform and utilize my talents to the best of my abilities, not just rely on said talents, but to craft them and make them into something sharper and make myself a better football player. Mm. We're seeing that in camp now. That this is obviously very early, and McColl still has to go out there and prove his worth. But I think he has set himself up in a mentality aspect that's going to access the talent unlike anything we've seen from him before because we've seen him even in huge games like against the Buffalo Bills when he got that 68-yard uh, runoff. Yep. He can make those plays. And as I told you guys before, all 10 of his receiving touchdowns were in, in, in moments where he had to go downfield and, and Patrick Mahomes had time in the pocket, which we just broke down, will have plenty of po- time in the pocket, or plays on the sweep motions where you have to go and get your tackles and guards out there to protect. And we saw them practicing those today in camp. So, McCole Hardman, to me, is going to be the guy that I think is going to be the breakout player for the Chiefs. I know we got our prediction show coming up in a little about a month. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel confident in saying that right now, guys. I think that McCole Hardman is going to silence a lot of critics 
based upon the fact that he knows how severe this season is for him, just like Orlando Brown Jr. does. Yeah, I mean, I love McColl. I, I I was very skeptical of the pick when we first picked him because I didn't feel like we needed a guy at that point. Uh, I wanted to get a linebacker at that point when we drafted him, but I understood why they did that. Um, and I've liked him ever since he's been here. I've liked even when he was his goofy young self. He was entertaining. He was fun to watch. He was electric on the field when he made his big home run plays. He's fun to watch, but I've always been critical of his ability to run proper routes and time his routes properly. And it's showed. Um, it showed pretty much since he's been here that he's either home. He's pretty much a, a boomer bust type player. He's a uh, you know, he's got the skill. He's he's obviously an absolute freak athlete. Um, his his straight speed is unreal. Um, he he's just got to get his timing right, and I think that's that's what's been raving about him is his, his ability um, to break on routes so much better and 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 beat press coverage and 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 break open and find the spots where Pat's going to find him and having that timing down. Because once he gets that down, and Tyreek is doing what he does, Kelsey's doing what he does. Robertson, uh, Demarcus Robertson's contributing here and there with his athleticism as well. I mean, this offense, man. I if McColl is doing what we're thinking he can possibly do this year, be maybe another damn near thousand yard receiver for this offense, and, and, and you know get a handful of touchdowns and 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 break and you know not only does does defenses have to worry about Tyreek going deep. Now McCold going deep or possibly faking going deep and cutting across the middle of the field and up the seam. What what they can do with him is even more than possibly what they could do with Sammy Watkins because obviously one, he's available, but two, he's he's a little quicker than Sammy and he's just he's he's a little some but I mean the future of this league, a lot of the future of this league is at least at least small receivers, these speedster receivers are kind of taking over the league. That's like the new wave. You know, the Tyler Lockets and a lot of these guys that are just that flourish in offenses like this. I I and I'm 100% with you. I hope he continues this. I hope he stays healthy because the sky is the absolute limit. We might outdo 2018's offense if he's doing what we're thinking he can do. Well, and it's funny too because, you know, people are talking they're being critical on McCole, which I get because again, he had expectation coming right. in and he was taken before DK Metcalf so we can continue to revisit that conversation, but we know sure, why. Sure. Yeah. But the fact is is that, you know, we consider and critique him. But you guys do understand that over the last two seasons since he's been in the league, he's put up better numbers than Sammy Watkins. Mm -hmm. He's averaging over 500 yards a a season and five touchdowns. Yes, and he's available. He's available every week. So at his worst, we're talking about that. That's that's the critical side. Mm-hmm. Is him being better than the guy we paid over forty million dollars to? I mean, even if he, even if even if his his production was even worse than Sammy's, I'd rather have a guy that has slightly worse production but is available to have that production. on everything. The f- man. Exactly. So I mean, as much as I love Sammy Watkins, I still love Sammy Watkins. I've liked him since day one. Even though league. he's tripping out here with these comments. Of course, I, I get it. I don't. I don't really. I'm talking about the player at this point. I, I've always respected his game. I liked his game, but he's he's always been injured, man. His whole career, he's been banged up. So I, mean, I you can't have dead weight, and I'm excited to see what McColl can do this year. Next step, and to stay on the offensive side, real quick. There's also a part of this because I know you know I'm a victim of this, guys. I worship Patrick Mahomes and his abilities, and I think he's going to put up insane numbers this year. I, I fully anticipate that. Mm. I'm telling you guys right now, our run game is going to be elite this year. I'm telling you, the Chiefs' run rush attack is going to be elite. I'm talking about one of the five. Best running offenses in the NFL this year. Again, I'm fully anticipating that Patrick Holmes is going to have an MVP-esque season. But the reason why that's going to be easier for him to do is because of the fact of what we just laid out. 
Trevor, you broke it down about having two vertical threats, two of the fastest dudes in the NFL on both sides of the field with Tyreek and, 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 and McCole Hardman being as versatile as Tyreek is and hopefully as versatile as McCole will become, especially with the special teams abilities, no less. But the fact that you have to focus so much energy on Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and a budding star of, of McCole Hardman, in my opinion, mm-hmm. with this offensive line, and Patrick Mahomes being able to utilize the RPO again with Clyde edwards finally having an offseason and a training camp to utilize and as productive as he was even in his rookie season despite those facts. Then with Daryl Williams, a guy that no one wants to give credit to, mm. that I think is an underrated player in this offense. Bro. Jarek McKinnon yeah. being added to this offense. You know I like my boy Jarek I'm McKinnon. telling you, you do not be shocked, guys, yeah. if and when this offense is one of the more complete, if not the most complete offense, because it's not just going to be on Patrick Mahomes having to throw the ball 672 times like he did last season. It's going to be a more efficient attack from Patrick Mahomes where he can pick his spots and pick his teeth with the defense and bait them and utilize the RPO. But I'm telling you, there's going to be a lot of blowouts, and in those blowouts, you're going to see the Chiefs dominate at the line of scrimmage, unlike they've been able to do for the last two years because of what? Injuries of the offensive line or having inept talent at the offensive line. That has gone away. Be prepared to see the Chiefs running the ball at an elite level this year. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm going to say running production. Just production from the running backs this year is probably going to be the best in maybe Chiefs history. And we've had some great running back productions. Simply just running with the Priest Holmes and the Larry Johnsons and Jamal Charles of the world. We've had a great history of running backs in this city. In this city, I'm going to say overall production, and I say that because I think the screen game is going to absolutely obliterate the league this year. This is why I said, and I know we haven't done our predictions yet, but I have a hunch that Clyde, Jerick McKinnon is going to have a piece in this work too, and obviously Daryl Williams, Daryl the Barrel is going to have a big part of this production as well. I think the screen game to the running backs is going to be outrageous to the running backs and the tight ends. I think there's going. I've been hearing a lot of the screen game been been. Because we didn't see much of the screen game at all last year. We expected a lot of that heading into the year. I predicted some, something similar to what I'm predicting right now, but I've been hearing a lot out of camp. And just from seeing the the you know the, the small amount of footage that I have seen, there's been a lot of screen work with the tight ends and the running backs. And when you have two tight end sets and you keep those – you got those linebackers and safeties on their heels, they don't know what's coming at them, the screen game is just going to eat them alive because you can just, just pick them apart with that. I think, I think, the, I think Clyde is going to have – so much yards from scrimmage this year with his running and his ability to catch the ball. And Jared McKinnon, obviously, people sleep on him. Another injury-prone guy, but, I mean, his ability, his his athleticism, it, he has elite athleticism. He's an undersized guy, but he – he. I'm just telling him, just from the tape of me watching him in his Vikings days and his little limited stint in San Fran, the guy has wheels. The guy's very athletic and mobile. So, yes, I agree with you. The running game is going to be outrageous overall, not just running but catching the ball as well. And here's another part about it when it comes to the the running game that that we have to talk about and how well I believe the offensive line is going to uh, protect for the run game as well, not just for Patrick Mahomes. Mm. If you look at the way this offensive line is constructed, who it's constructed with, it's run guys. Orlando Brown Jr. was a fantastic left tackle for the run game for Lamar Jackson last year. He was actually better with the run protection than even a pass protection. He was elite at pass protection last season. Downfield protection, too. Joe yeah. Tooney, where's he come from? The, the Patriots. Patriots. Yep. They loved to run the ball, and Joe Tooney was the best guard in football at that time with Quentin, obviously, Quentin, or uh, yeah, Quentin Nelson from. Uh, Didn't he have like zero holding calls, too? Zero holding calls. That's. Yeah. He has, you run that much, and you have zero. Like, 10 playoff games, zero holds, zero penalties, zero anything, dude. Yeah. Unbelievable. Joe Tooney. 
So, and then you look at Creed Humphrey. O- Oklahoma loves to run the ball, yep. and he was fantastic at that. Power. Trey run. Smith from Tennessee. Mike Rimmers, if he starts there, was a decent running uh, left, a right tackle at running for running the ball with Carolina back in his day. And then you look at Lucas Nyang. We've all heard about Chase Young, what he said about Lucas Nyang mm-hmm. being the toughest motherfucker he ever went against. This offensive line That's, is primed to not just volumes. protect, not just protect the best player in the world in Patrick Mahomes, but whatever running backs out there playing, whether it's a short bubble screen or whether it's a power run. Whatever it is, this offensive line can add to that. Not, not even mentioning just random names like Blake Bell, who they brought back to do what? Protect great and block. He's a great blocking tight end. He's not a great tight end. He's just a great blocking tight end. Yeah. And I know you want to talk about the tight ends as well because I know that's that's a position you really like to pay attention to, Trevor. Absolutely. Go have at it, man. Absolutely, man. I, I Yeah, tight end is definitely my favorite position to watch. I've always been a tight end guy. Grew up loving Tony Gonzalez, and I just fell in love with the position ever since. Um, I, I think this is the deepest we've ever been. And tied in in some years, man. Um, the with the you know the converted wide receiver and Jody Fortson, who's 6'6", 230 pounds. I don't know if he's banged up right now or not. I know there were some rumors that he was or he was uh, carted off or whatever. I think he'll be fine. But I mean, you got the addition of the the get up and get a guy and, and, and Noah Gray, who have been hearing nothing but fireworks about him in the in camp. And obviously, you got the goat and Travis Kelsey uh, just doing what he does, and everyone's you know expecting him to be the best in the, in the game when, once the season kicks off. I'm just excited to see. The the two tight end sets because that only helps Travis Kelsey's game too. When you have another guy, you have two other tight ends that aren't just blockers. You can throw a three tight end set out there, and all three of them are pass catchers, and all three of them are except exceptional at blocking as well. You know how dangerous that is as an offense. <laughs> you could have Tyreek out there with three other tight ends. You don't know if they're blocking or running a route, and then you also have Clyde out of the backfield and Patrick Holmes with the ball in his hand every play. Like that is so as a defense, those linebackers and those safeties not knowing what exactly is coming their way, and obviously being most of those guys being the inferior uh, uh, athletic talent. Obviously, when it comes to those guys running routes, I, I'm just excited to see what no what comes becomes a no gray in just year one and what he could become. You know, years down the road, whether it's him being the, the Travis Kelsey replacement eventually or not, I'm just excited to see what these guys do alongside and learn alongside Travis Kelsey because not only are they going to become their own, but the fact that they're in a position right now to learn from possibly the greatest tight end to ever play this game, especially as far as skill set goes, overall skill set as a pass catcher. I mean, this uh, it's just exciting, man, to sit here, bro, as Chiefs fans and talk about go go position by position and not have to bitch about anything yet. We're talking about only the pros because there's no real cons to these positions right now. Right, and, and to your point about Jody Fortson, I actually looked it up. Jody Fortson was it wasn't him; it was actually Antonio Callaway. Oh, that the, sucks. Yeah, though. he was. He, I don't. Know he was the, doing good. Extent, I don't know the extent of the injury, but I I mixed that up before we started okay. airing that about Jody Fortson. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was a Callaway, which I know a lot of people were looking forward to seeing him try to make make this roster as well. But to your point about the tight end position, you know what's crazy about this is that since they drafted Travis Kelsey back in 2013, mm. the Chiefs have only drafted two tight ends. It was James O'Shaughnessy in 2015, and now Noah Gray. Yeah. Now, James O'Shaughnessy, I don't think, was ever brought in here to be a catch-first tight end. I think he was more of a blocking-style yeah. tight end. He's a big kid, yeah. But we can't sit here and pretend as if, if Andy Reid doesn't love tight ends. He's utilized them throughout the throughout the history of his coaching career. Right. So, with Travis Kelsey obviously being the unicorn here, we can't sit here and expect that type of production from Noah Gray. And quite frankly, even if Noah Gray was that type of tight end, he's not getting that mm-hmm. because there's too many mouths to right. feed. Noah Gray, although, and I and I always do the hashtag listen to Lewis, mm-hmm. when you're getting praise from Lewis Riddick, 
you got to pay attention. He's going to have opportunities. He's going to have opportunities. I, I do believe that. And I yeah. think he's going to take some pressure off Travis Kelsey, but I do believe they're going to work him into this offense where they're not going to try to, you know, put him out there too much or too often. I think he's going to work his way into this office, especially I, on third downs and red yeah. zones. Yep. I agree with you. When you have that type of size and skill, mm-hmm. the, the team can't help but utilize you. And, and, and here's the other part of it that we have to consider is the fact that since Patrick Holmes became the quarterback of the chiefs, He's thrown 50 touchdowns to guys like Sharkandrick West mm-hmm. and Anthony Dumbass Sherman and Eric Fisher and Incompletrius Harris, which was also another tight end the Chiefs like to use. Yeah. So we can't sit here and pretend as if it's some wild fantasy that Patrick Mahomes can throw two to three touchdowns this year to Noah Gray. And he can contribute in a big moment. And Jody Fortson. And, and the- with the fact that we have to address the, the part that makes us a little uncomfortable – that Travis Kelsey is going to get older. Mm-hmm. He's going to be 32 in October. Yep. Now, he's not old, and he's been a very healthy player throughout the duration of his career outside of his rookie season. Mm-hmm. But we can't sit here and pretend that that's going to last forever. That's what I was saying. I think this there is the perfect opportunity plan. for Noah Gray to possibly learn and become, has to be possibly become that replacement yes. eventually. So. And we all know that Travis Kelsey coming out of the draft was not anticipated to be this great tight end. Yeah. He was a quarterback, quarterback to start. So Noah Gray coming out of Duke, with low expectations, you know, being a later draft draft pick, even though the Chiefs traded up for him, that shows me numbers are there. But yeah. yes, and yeah. and and the Chiefs don't trade up for guys they don't believe in. They trade yeah. up for Kareem Hunt. How did that work out? He was a baller for the time he's been here. He yeah. still is a baller. So they trade up for guys they know are going to be sure things. And I think Noah Gray is going to be a sure thing. And I expect him to put up all pro numbers. No, probably not for at least a few more years. But he's going to work his way into this offense. And I think once he gets it, you're going to see that trust start to develop between him and the coaching staff. Now, let's get to the defensive side of things because, man, we can sit here and talk about the offense forever. A couple key things I want to talk about. let's, Let's get this off the top. I can't express to you guys how excited I am to see Chris Jones at the edge. And the reason is this. If you look at his numbers as a defensive tackle, he has 40 and a half sacks. That's insane. He had 15 and a half in 2017. To be able to get to the quarterback the way that Chris Jones does up front and in the middle is elite. But to see a man as big as he is on the edge getting around uh, legit tackles like Orlando Brown. Now, obviously, they're doing technique drills and stuff like that, so Orlando Brown's not just straight up trying to block him. But to see how quick and how athletic just, and how scary Chris Jones... rush every snap. It's not fair. Yeah. And I'm not sitting here trying to sit here and say he's going to set a new single-season sack record. But I don't take anything Chris Jones says or does lightly. Mm-hmm. I see a man that believes in himself that's like, hey, listen, because oh. here, here's an interesting dynamic to this. If Chris Jones, because he just signed that new deal this last offseason, mm-hmm. but let's say Chris Jones goes out there and makes a name for himself as a defensive end and becomes a defensive end, That's guess me. what's going to happen? New conversation talks. Yep. Let's say let's say Chris Jones goes out there and has 15 and a half sacks again and is a legitimate defensive end now and converts. The Chiefs are going to have to figure out another way to pay him because we all know that outside of tackles and quarterbacks, yeah. who are the guys that makes the most money out there? It's defensive ends. Yep. It's edge rush. Aaron Donald's, yep. So this is going to be interesting to see how much the Chiefs allow him to do it, too, because if he's great out there, they're going to have to figure out a way to pay him. But to see that, man, and to see – I think it's going to take a lot of pressure off Frank Clark, and with Jaron Reed being there, that's going to benefit Frank Clark as well. Man, Trev, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I think I think that, I think that they're going to still keep Chris Jones at defensive tackle because he's so great there. 
I'm just saying, don't be shocked if he puts out all pro numbers, dude, as a defensive end. Do not be shocked. Yeah, I mean, with the Jaron Reeds and, 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 you know, Frank Clark, I mean, obviously looking like Frank Clark might not even get penalized this year, maybe. I don't know what this – anyway. Even without Frank Clark, I mean, I yeah, I personally feel that Chris Jones should be coming off the edge more than he's not. Um, I think that just brings an entirely new dynamic. Granted, you love him blasting up the middle. He's going to have those opportunities still. He's going to be a guy that's going to move around a lot because as big as he is, he's a big kid with a big motor, man. He he wants. I mean, this this is the same guy that talks about he wants to catch touchdowns too. This guy wants to do everything. This guy just loves football. And he loves getting after the quarterback. He loves getting in Tom Brady's ass and all these other quarterbacks. You know, he likes – he loves it. He, he truly loves his game, and it shows in every single snap. You know, the guy is just a nonstop monster. So, <laughs> having him come off the edge and just picturing the other quarterbacks having to see that coming off the edge, uh, especially on coming off their blind side, is the scariest thing. Outside of Aaron Donald, in my mind, the scariest thing looking across from you is Chris Jones, man. So, I'm excited to see what, what, like I said, with the Jaron Reed uh, addition as well. Uh, um, um, bringing back, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, what's his, uh, not Naughty, but the other guy that just Trishon signed. Wharton? No, just the other guy that we brought back instead of Justin Houston. Uh, oh, oh, John, Alex Okafor. Okafor, yeah. Bringing back him. You know, we have, we have depth of this defensive line. So I'm excited just to see. Overall, man, what, what what this if they can take that next step because they were obviously I'm not going to act like they weren't good last year. They were good last year, but this is definitely you know with the linebackers adding some new bodies and Willie Gay being more available than he was last year and being possibly ready more than he was last year. I'm excited to see what this defense does, man, and it all starts up front. So I think we've got the talent to get there. Now the linebackers is where I'm really excited because yeah. that's been our biggest weakness. That's been the the Chiefs' biggest weakness over the last couple of seasons, pretty much since Derek Johnson retired a few years ago has been linebacker. Now I think Anthony Hitchens actually had a really good season in 2020. Definitely. And I'm expecting him to repeat that again, especially with the fact that, and we talked about how McCole Hardman's going to start having that pressure and expectation on him this year. I think the same is going to be for Willie Gay. Now he's under concussion protocol. There's nothing to worry about. He's going to be fine by season, by the beginning of the season. Yeah. But to see the development and quite frankly, just the bloom of Willie Gay as a player, which what we saw at the end of last season before he got hurt, which he was leading the team in tackles for the last couple of weeks. To see him become what I think he is going to become is mm-hmm. so exciting because the Chiefs have not had a surefire, athletically gifted linebacker in quite some time. Even as awesome as Derrick Johnson was, it wasn't like he was some phenomenal athlete. He was very technically sound. He was sound. very technically sound, and he was a great, great football mind. Yeah. Willie Gay has insane Talent, mm-hmm. physical talent. Remember, Patrick Queen was getting all that credit. He's a freak athlete, man. People that know football were talking about how Willie Gay was the more talented version of even Patrick Queen. Mm. So that tells you something. And Patrick Queen is a, is a versatile, like Jamal Adams type player. He, he hasn't can play safety out so and far. Linebacker. Yeah, he hasn't panned out very well this so far, but he's got a bright he's, he's had some injury problems. Yeah. yeah, but Willie Gay, I'm telling you guys. There's something I'm I'm loving from both him and Nick Bolton, and it was what I was concerned about, especially for Nick Two Bolton. Two totally different players. Yes, too. what I was concerned about with Nick Bolton in particular was his coverage, mm-hmm. because we know he's a tackling machine. He's got a great IQ, but he's an undersized linebacker. He's very short. Yeah, he's quick though. He's quick, yeah. and we're seeing him get coverage down. Mm-hmm. Now that is huge because you know everyone's talking about the camp interceptions, which I'm going to throw out to the wayside. But the part of it that we have to pay attention to is the defensive side of it. Who gives a shit if Patrick Mahomes is throwing picks? Because we know what he is. Mm. It's the defensive players and who's picking him off that gets me excited. It's been Nick Bolton and it's been Willie Gay. That is 
That's fucking. If that doesn't get you right now, rock solid in your pants. Yeah. I don't know what does. Well, imagine how they feel picking up Patrick Mahomes just in practice alone. And think about the confidence that and builds. what they're going to do with these other quarterbacks that are not even on near that level. And think about think about the middle of the field and how much easier it's going to be for these linebackers this season when you know that you have the front seven and as nasty as it can and will be with Chris Jones, Frank Clark, Jaron Reed, Treshawn Wharton, Derek Nottie, uh, Alex Okafor. With those guys being able to do what they do. And then you have Tyron Matthew and Juan Thornhill and Dan Sorensen behind you. Mm. That you you can't put a price tag on it, man. And it's going to give these guys. I'm not trying to sit here and say they're going to be the 85 Bears, but I think this defense has all the capabilities in the world to be a top 15 defense in this league. Yeah. And and then we look at the cornerbacks, and I know I'm kind of jumping around That's here, the but only I, slightly I'm, weak point of this entire roster. And here's the exciting part about it. DeAndre Baker's already out there doing his thing. Yeah. Mike Hughes is out there looking solid. Xavier Howard's on his way. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, I would wish. <laughs> but but, but Legereus Sneed, this is the guy that, that Lord Jarius, I apologize. Lord Jarius Sneed is how we like to talk it's on here. Yep. I think he's going to give himself an opportunity to prove himself as a CB1 this year. Oh, man. Because he played nine games last season, 12 total with the playoffs. And he had four sacks. Sneed Island. Sneed Island, yeah. Yep. Need for Sneed. What he did last season in just nine regular season games, to me, I know I'm a big guy that is a proponent of sample size and body of work, Mm -hmm. but there are exceptions to that rule. And Lord Jarius Sneed, to me, is one of those guys because of what he did in small sample form. Mm -hmm. The way he played and how big he played and how fearless he played, how efficient he played, and how a much of a veteran style player he already is and the mentality is now here's the other thing people forget he's not some young buck right he's 24 he's, years old yeah yeah he it's not like he's some 21 he year old run out rook. here yeah. yeah he's a seasoned rook and this is what I was talking about with Cornell Powell and the benefit he has of being yes, an sir. older rookie yeah. i think that's the benefit because Legarius Sneed is still technically if you want to go by games in his rookie season yeah. he's only 12 games into his into his career so he's got i think such a head start on the, on the competition when it comes to Who's going to be going at him? And trust me, the league's going to be going at him this year. Oh, yeah. Because they're, they're going, going to try to call that year. bluff. Yeah, they're yeah. going to try to call that bluff. And that's where I think he's going to benefit significantly off being the guy that he's already gotten that much experience and still being young enough to develop his game going into the 2021 season. And another thing that's low-key great about Legereus Need is his tackling ability. He's not just a good coverage guy and knows how to time and, and, and trace the ball and track the ball and find out where you know and and, and, and get high-ended with these receivers and, and, and break the ball up or pick the ball. He's a great blitzer as well. Yep, he's great off coming off those 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 corner blitzes. I mean, he was incredible watching him do that last year as a rookie. That's not all. That's not corner blitzes is not something you typically put on a rookie. They had many many packages with with Snead blitzing off the edge, and it was incredible to see. And he's he's great at getting to the point. He's, he's got very quick first step, um, and he disguised a lot of those blitzes really really well for a rookie. So he's definitely smart beyond his years for your typical guy going into his second year. Um, and especially with the responsibility being put on him as a rookie, not with that that mindset heading into the year. He wasn't expected to be that guy, but he came in and immediately filled those shoes at a high level. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely – he's – as far as defense goes, in my mind, he's the guy to watch. To, is he going to take that next step? Because I remember Charverius Ward, we were like, you know, him, you know, he was a cool story, you know, not having much opportunity. He performed well his first time around with us. Uh, and he, did, he didn't take that next step, you know. So it's it's definitely Legereus Need taking that next step is going to be and huge for this defense. I didn't like when they didn't sign back Rashad Breeland, especially when yeah, he only got four million dollars. Yeah. But now that I'm seeing DeAndre Baker and Mike Hughes playing the way they're playing so far, especially Mike Hughes, I, I do understand it. Yeah. I do understand it because they felt that hey, we have these young dudes, yeah. these first round first round talents, by the way, 
that didn't work in their previous gigs. Now we get an opportunity to make them into what we believe them well, to Mike be. Well, Mike Hughes is versatile enough to play safety as well. Exactly. Safety so they, and they got, like, you know, we, we, you know, we got options out here. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like our guy Jack Harlow likes to say. So um, <laughs> before we get out of this segment, though, because we can get, sit here and talk Chiefs, we got to get to you guys in the mailbag. I can't stress it enough, man, just how much of a leader Tyron Matthew is. Yeah. Uh, you're seeing it, man. It's yeah. it's like literally a coach putting on a helmet with the talent of an all-pro player. He's coaching these guys on the field. I'm, I'm watching it on, on at camp. He's he's literally mentoring these guys as plays are breaking down. You're seeing Patrick Mahomes on the offensive side saying good routes and, and great job. In the middle of the play, to see both these guys leading both the offense and defense the way they have is nothing short. And Tyron Matthew, I've said it 100 times. I'll say it 100 more times. He changed the culture here in Kansas City. Absolutely. He changed the culture. We owe so much to Tyron Matthew. And I'm not just talking about money, because trust me, he's getting that too. But we owe him a lot here in Kansas City, because I don't think the Chiefs win the win the, the Super Bowl in 2019 if it was if Tyron Matthew wasn't on this team. Yeah, he brought what Justin Houston was trying to to develop here in Kansas City. Justin Houston was kind of that guy in the locker room with that dog mentality, but he, just, he wasn't nearly as vocal and eloquent with his vocals as Tyron is. Tyron's the absolute no-bullshit type of guy. Houston was definitely a little more reserved than Tyron, but he was trying to bring that mentality. He definitely did, he, and he showed it with his production. And I think with but, Justin, there's, there's a, a sense of he, he he's from the old guard. Mm-hmm. You know, like Tyron Matthew didn't have that attachment. Right. Tyron Matthew wasn't here in the heartbreaking days of playoff losses. He came here to change that shit, and yeah. he did. So I like this. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, he's that guy, so... I don't want to sit here and break down what he's been doing in camp because, quite frankly, I already know what he is. Like, I'm not sitting here tripping on what Travis. We're not sitting here talking about Travis Kelsey. We're not sitting here talking about the the All Star. We're not. We haven't mentioned Tyree Kill right. because we know what they're going to bring. <laughs> yeah, we already. We know, know what they're going to bring. I'm right. not going to sit here and talk about what Tyron Matthews is going to bring to the field. I'm just giving him his respect and paying paying my rent, if you will, to the landlord by by giving paying homage to the leadership that I've been seeing him out there mm. because these young guys are feeding off of it and that pays dividends, man. When you're giving these guys all the confidence in the world, you're spe- he's even talking with McCole Harbin. McCole Harbin's telling him, I had a dream, man, that you know I beat you in coverage, but you broke up the pass. And like Tyron Matthew does just that in practice. Like <laughs> it's just so cool to see the camaraderie, seeing Andy Reid taking pictures with Patrick Mahomes and the young fellows, man. Like it's just there's so many good vibes with this team. And you would have thought after losing the way they did in the Super Bowl, this team would crumbled and fell and mm. you know start finger pointing and all this bullshit. This team looks loose. They look confident. Leadership. They look ready to go out there and make shit right that was done wrong last season. And I hope you motherfuckers are ready because you know I am. And we can sit here and talk more about it. But trust me, as the weeks go on and as the season gets closer, we're going to be doing that. So in the meantime, you sit there and chew on that. But we're going to get to you guys in the Monday Mailbag and hear what you guys have to say, what your questions or concerns are. And we're going to give you our honest feedback on those. We'll get back to that after this. Commandeer is Kansas City's alternative apparel brand. They make unique Kansas City-themed clothing and accessories with a countercultural apparel. Find them online at commandeerbrand.com or follow them at commandeerbrand on Instagram or Facebook. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. It is time for the Monday Mailbag we do each and every week as we give you, the listening audience, an opportunity to take over the show for an entire segment, whatever it is. Y'all want to talk about whatever it is you guys are fuming on or you guys want to just get some takes out there, some hot takes, some cold takes, whatever kind of takes you got. We serve them out here 
and we give you guys our honest feedback and our honest reaction to them. Trevor, what is in the Monday mailbag this week? All right. So the first question we got is from our from not only our our guy Shane Williams, Shaggy Shane Williams. Um, he says we all predicted the Chiefs' defense to struggle for the early part of 2019 after case after Casey changed defensive coordinators, and it did. With this massive change at offense offensive line this season, how many weeks would you predict it to struggle, if any? Before these guys build some continuity and perform at a high level together. The only okay, the reason why I'm not nearly as concerned about that being a a learn as you go type of scenario is because of kind of what we talked about in segment two about how I feel that this offensive line is gonna have some gel early on because of what they've had to go through a training camp alone. But also the fact that the glaring difference is Steve Spagnola was new. It wasn't just defensive players. Whereas on the offensive side, the players are new, but the coaching staff isn't. We still have Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid running this offense as they have been for years. Mm. So that's where I have more assurances because when Steve Spagnuolo came in here, he wasn't just new. He had been retired. So there was a lot of proving points that he had to show us, and he did struggle early on. Am I, gonna, am I sitting here saying that I don't think the offensive line is going to have their druthers? No, they're going to have. Every offensive line has their mistakes or their, their down games or whatever you want to call it. But I'm not expecting that. I'm not anticipating that early because, again, I think Andy Reid is going to put them in the best position possible to get them properly adequated to getting to their best, mm. to playing at their best. I think that's what's going to happen, man. Yeah, I mean, look, changing a coordinator is one thing, but rotating lesser talent with better talent is a whole different thing. You don't need. I don't think it's going to take – some kind of continuity or any of these guys to really gel together. I think that's what camp is for. I think that's what preseason some 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 sort of way is for. I, like I said in the last segment, or the segment before last, talent is talent. We're not changing out a coordinator. That's one thing. You're, you have to learn a new system, a new scheme. That's an entirely different thing. Scheme, schematic issues are schematic issues. That's where there's room for error. But when you're talented and you're going out there to do one job and you've been practicing that one job with the guys next to you in camp, that's an, I don't, I don't, I'm not expecting. I, cause look, literally, all I'm going to do is just simply compare last year's talent to this year's talent. This year's talent is far better. Our depth is far better. I'm just going to go with that. I have no real worries with this offensive line. Granted, it's young, but like I said, talent is talent. I want the best guys that are the best for the job out there on the field, and that's what I'm expecting. And I don't care about their age. I don't care about the inexperience. If you're good, go out there. You're going to compete. You're going to be, you know, far better than what we had last year, and we were in the Super Bowl last year. So, I mean, if that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. Uh, second question from Shane: With uh, with Juan Thornhill sustaining a groin injury in Monday's practice, we have a dilemma. Armani Watts, who is Thornhill's backup, broke his foot this offseason and is and is uh, on the pup. Honey Badger and Dirty un, Unvaccinated Dan are the two starting safeties. Two part question: One. Who do you see stepping into the role of Thornhill and Watts with their injuries? Two, who do you see? Who, do you see Juan Thornhill's recent injury putting his career in some doubt? To the first question, the guy that's going to fill in for Juan Thornhill is going to be Juan Thornhill because uh, he's going to be ready week one. I know it. I know groin injuries can be a little predictable, unpredictable, and they can be they can linger. They they definitely can. But we've already seen Juan Thornhill back on the practice. And how long field. is our money Watts going to miss? How much is he going to miss? Though? I, I, it can't I don't, be that I, much. Yeah, I, I would imagine he'll be ready by week one. The point is, our money Watts is. If we're talking about a career in doubt, it's going to be our money Watts. The dude's yeah. always hurt. Um, Dod still out there. 
Yeah, I, I think if we're if we're to take a random stab at like a replacement player of sorts, I think it's somebody that you mentioned earlier, Trevor Mike Hughes. Yeah, I think that'd be the guy that they would throw out there and do that. Um, but it, I have I really don't have any worries about Juan Thornhill being ready for the season. I think that he's he will be. He's already been back on the practice field. He's already been practicing. So unless he re-aggravates it or tears something or does something that we we can't predict. I'm fully anticipating that Juan Thornhill is going to be the guy. I don't. I. I don't have. As far as the second question is concerned, I, I don't have any doubts about Juan Thornhill's career at this point. Do I think he has injury concerns? Yes, but we can make that same case for Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes has sustained several injuries, so are we going to play that game too with him? I. I, I just don't. I'm not at that place yet for Juan Thornhill to think that he won't be ready for this season and isn't going to be prepared for seasons to come. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going. I don't want to be the guy that's going to. I mean, obviously, you should be. You always should be prepared for everything, and I believe the Chiefs coaching staff and 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 who are running the show. I think they're all prepared for that. That's why you have depth on the roster. Granted, we don't have much depth at safety, but I do like Mike Hughes. I do like his versatility to be able to play safety, and he's played plenty of it before. Um, so I, I think I think we have guys, and I think I think Spags knows what he's doing. I think Spags has guys in place just in, in case. But I do think Thornhill will be ready. Granted, he, there is a possibility for anyone to get injured. You know, uh, uh, it's not like Tyron Matthew hasn't had a history of injuries as well. That could very well happen too. We don't know. Granted, that would be terrible, but this is football, man. Literally, any any in, any snap at any moment, any play of any game, anyone can get hurt. Not, it doesn't matter who you are. No one is exempt from injury. Um, you know, so I I'm not going to sit here and try to like brainstorm who would be the replacement. I trust Spags. I trust our coaches to put the right guys in the right place. And I think we obviously have guys that are ready. Um, I don't know when Armani Watts will even be ready. If he even is the backup plan, who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to sit here and try to think about what ifs, you know, for the, for the bad, you know, situations that could possibly happen. I just want to go with what is right now and go, roll with that. Um, but I do think Juan, Juan Thornhill will be ready. Um, and I'm just I'm hoping for the best. I'm crossing my fingers for a healthy season because the guy was definitely contributing at a good level when he was healthy. So I'm looking forward to that, and that's what I'm rolling with right now. Third question from Shane. Jeff Jadia from the NFL Network and 810 WHB reported this morning from Baltimore Ravings training camp that Lamar Jackson is due back from COVID protocol this weekend. Jeff Jadia also stated that Lamar Jackson is adamant about not wanting to be vaccinated, even though Lamar has tested positive twice for the virus twice in the last eight months. And Jeff also stated that there is some frustration from the Ravens coaching staff about this issue while backup QB Trace McSorley keeps getting reps with the first team. Could you see a scenario in which Lamar Jackson loses his starting job with Baltimore before the regular season begins? No, um, but I do see a scenario in which a repeat of what happened last year happens again. Mm. I could very well see Lamar Jackson missing games because of scenarios like this. I mean, for some some for some re- weird reason and I, I don't want to go on a tangent about the whole vaccination thing cuz uh, I seem to trigger people very easily when I do that, but it you know facts are the facts and I don't really care if that offends you or not. These 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 quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson and Kirk Cousins thinks they're above doing what's right because they think that they're going to be fine or they're not going to hurt their team if they – and I don't want to speak for Lamar because I haven't heard why Lamar hasn't gotten vaccinated. I don't know what his reasons are. We do know why Kirk Cousins feels the way he does, and it's it's foolish. Uh, you you honestly don't think that you're going you're gonna to do the things the same way you did last year when you saw several players across the league cost their team games because of absences. You don't think that's going to happen again this year by doing it the same way you did last year? Lamar Jackson, of all people, should know this. Like you said, multiple times he's been he's been positive for COVID, and he's out here. I saw on um, 
Somebody was posting about his Instagram about him going and getting his hair done at a salon right now. The last day or two, Lamar. Just, yeah, just mm-hmm. unmasked, just going to the still COVID. He still has got COVID. Still got COVID out there at a barber shop getting his hair done. So this dude's obviously living at his own risk. And honestly, I think it's hilarious. Not hilarious, but I think it's I think it's comical and quite frankly pathetic in a sense because he's also trying to get himself a big contract. Mm-hmm. And to me, when you're not out here trying to do what's best for the team. I don't know how the team's going to back you up and give you forty plus million dollars like they're looking at with a Josh a Josh Allen comparison and contract. So um, I don't think he's going to lose his starting job by any means because he's just too damn talented and they don't have a real adequate replacement for him. There's not like some guy in, in the weights waiting for him to, to fail. Right. But uh, yeah, I could definitely see him missing a couple games and costing him a couple opportunities to get into the playoffs. Well, quite frankly, it's also offensive to a lot of these quarterbacks that are. Not even in the league or in the league, waiting to get their 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 opportunity to have a starting role in the NFL and get that kind of recognition, and do whatever it would take to be, to get there. Um, and they got these guys sitting at the top, and you know, and acting like they're they're exempt from you know doing what's best for humanity. Um, I don't think he's at stake of losing his job. I think that would be an absolute. I mean, the fans would probably have an uproar. You don't want to start it off on the wrong foot. Uh, I think he's definitely going to be the starter. Uh, I don't know, man. There's so many. Uh, it's just a strange scenario, man. There's this dynamic in this, in this pushback from these stars. I want to be team guys, but yet they're not doing team friendly things and they're putting themselves first. And I get it. You're an individual first and it is what it is. But when you're working for the employer that you are working for, it's not about you. You're working at a job. This is a private business. The NFL, the shield is a private business that you have the opportunity to take part in granted you are the talent but you almost you need to understand that you're not just playing for yourself when you're on that field it's not just you out there buddy so i don't think he's going to lose a job there's going to be you know they're going to he's going to do whatever it you know he has to do to to get what he wants and also be you know remain the starting player and mvp mvp caliber player you know top tier athlete in this league he's going to get what he gets um, I just hope for his sake and his team's sake that he doesn't, you know, spread anything and nothing gets spread and nothing amongst the league gets spread during games, you know. So that's all I can hope for. But he's going to be the starter uh, week one. Billy Hodge, since we have seen the wide receiver group during training camp outside of Hill and Kelsey, how do you feel about the rest of the wide receivers? I told you guys I'm going to stick with it. I think McCole Hartman is going to have a, a career year this year because of his mentality, not just because of his talent. I think they're going to coincide. I think his mentality is going to match his talent, and I think he's going to silence a lot of critics. I'm very big on him. As far as Demarcus Robinson is concerned, I, I have minimal expectation because this guy's going into year seven, mm. and he's – just still what he is, which is a very mediocre wide receiver that I don't think is very reliable at all. Um, But Cornell Powell, I'm a big fan of what he is. I love his talent, and I love that he's walking in here as a seasoned veteran rookie based upon his college uh, achievements and what he was able to do and who he played with. Mm -hmm. So as a a core, I'm very optimistic about these wide receivers, and I think they're going to develop into being young dudes that will contribute behind Tyreek Hill and beside Tyreek Hill. Oh, yeah, and I'm going to also throw in the tight end since you did mention Kelsey as the wide receiver. Um, I will throw in you know, um, Noah Gray and you know Fortson as well. We touched on them a couple segments ago, but I do want to throw those guys in there as well. I'm excited to see what, you know, what they come up with, what packages they come up with with these two tight end sets, uh, what Noah Gray can do, you know learn and develop from the skill set that is with Travis Kelsey being on the field with him at the same time and trying to mimic some of that. Um, it's, it's exciting to see that from the tight end uh, as a as pass catcher. So that – on top of Cornell Powell, obviously, and the McCole Hartman 
everyone's getting a vibe that he's going to take that next step. And uh, if he takes that next step, and the sky is literally – this may be the best we've ever seen from this offense, and that is a scary statement in itself. Uh, Billy Hodge, next second question. Who is your dark horse to have a big year on the Chiefs? A dark horse. That means yeah. a guy that we obviously wouldn't expect. I, I, <laughs> We're kind of expecting a lot from a lot of yeah. people this year. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say if I had, if I had to go a dark, that's a really good. I like that question, man. I, yeah. I really do. Could be a defensive player, maybe. He said, he said offensive player. No, it's just dark horse. Oh, just a dark horse yeah. player. Oh, okay, well, side. So, okay, so we're, okay. Um, a new punter, maybe. <laughs> Tommy Townsend. No, yeah. man, I'm gonna have to. I really have to think about that. Yeah. I mean, you I know what? No, no, no. This is this shot in the no. dark. I'm gonna say this. I, I if I had to go dark horse, this might this might sound like a what are you talking about? I think Frank Clark. I think that's a dark horse right now because there's so many negative things attached to him right now, mm. and this is a big year for him as far as you know trying to go out there and produce so he can get a, either another contract with the Chiefs or with another team. Mm. I think it's him because no one's really everyone's paying attention to Chris Jones and him playing on edge. Everyone's talking about Tyron Matthew and the young developing players of Willie Gay and Nick Bolton. I don't, I don't know if there's a lot of expectations for Frank Clark this year. So I'm going to say Dark Horse. I'm going to go with Frank Clark. Yeah. I'm gonna I, Since McColl has been getting a lot of the attention, I'm going to say Cornell Powell. Um, I think he's going to get more run than people expect. I know a lot of people like um, Byron Pringle. He's always a guy that's going to be in and out of certain plays and certain packages. I think Cornell Powell is going to come in here and be a guy that's immediately in the rotation early. I think he's a strong-handed, strong guy. I think he's going to get a lot of those Sammy Watkins-type uh, routes because he's a similar-bodied guy and a strong – Handed guy and a big bodied guy. He's, he's got a solid frame. He's a man out there. Um, and he's not just some young kid. So I do like that. And I, I, he hasn't, I mean, granted, when we first drafted him and we first were kind of hearing about him in camp, like he, he was getting some traction, some, some pub, but he, he's definitely been overshadowed by McColl. And I think everyone expecting him and McColl should take that next step. And that shouldn't be a surprise or a dark horse. But I think the dark horse on the offensive side for me is uh, Cornell Powell. And I think he's going to, I think he's going to have a, a very good first year for him. So that's my dark horse. Uh, Donnie Couch. Hey guys, how was your week? Good. It was good, man. Yeah. Solid week. Not as not as hot as this next week's gonna be. It wasn't in the nineties. It was actually fairly nice this 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 week. So uh, that was a uh, nice for a change. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Lakers' free agent pickups? I feel they need one more stretch big to finish up the roster. That's actually a good. That's a good take. I think that I think that the Lakers. Kevin could, Love might yeah, be in the mix. Yeah, they're talking about uh, the the Cavs might be buying out Kevin Love, especially after the comments from their GM that was so decrim- discriminating uh, on on Kevin Love's career. Yeah. I, I thought it was very disrespectful. But yeah, the Cavs are probably going to buy out Kevin Love, and if and when that does happen, I do expect that Kevin Love will sign with the Lakers. There's also a chance that Andre Iguodala would sign with the Lakers, or potentially going back to the Warriors, which will probably happen. He'll probably go back to the Warriors. Yeah. Um, but that's a good take from Donnie. I think that yeah, I think they could definitely uh, utilize another guy like that and Kevin Love brings a bell for sure <coughs> excuse me um, but my expectations I mean you heard it from the top uh, from the first segment I I am already picking this team to win the title I think that they're the best most talented team in the NFL, in the NBA I know they're the, the oldest but as I broke down there were six teams throughout NBA history that did not matter and none of those teams that I named had more talent more superstar talent than this team and for quite frankly maybe not even as much motivation because there's a lot of there was a lot of talent on this team that have never won, and if we know anything about LeBron James, when he gets these veteran players that have never won that have that thirst and that desire and that drive to win, they win. So that's that's my expectation. That's how I look at this team as a whole. Yeah, I mean, just to, to finish off this roster, they simply just need shooters. They just need guys that can you know catch and shoot. 
uh, possibly three and D guys. Uh, Kevin Love, if he does end up on this roster, he's going to be, you know, bare veteran, veteran minimum. He's not going to be demanding much money, if, especially if he gets bought out, obviously, from the Cavs. Um, Kevin Love is, is definitely likely to happen, and that would be a good fit, I think. He would be a good, he's a good facilitator, good passer, good full court passer. Uh, not the best defender, but he's a very good shooter. Always has been. Him and LeBron already have that built-in chemistry, so that'd be a great addition. Um, I would still love to see them make some kind of move to get a Buddy Healed, uh, another splash move if they if they can deal Schroeder in some way to get a Buddy Healed or another shooter like that. Um, I really wanted to see them sign Patty Mills. That was a great sign for the Nets. Um, yeah, something like that. You know, another shooter. I don't know who's really available at the moment. Uh, there's still pieces that can definitely come uh, in a three-team trade possibility for Schroeder. Um, definitely expect him to get moves still. So definitely keep your eye out on that. I did. I just think they need to fill the roster, the rest of the roster with shooters, whether it's a spread five or a simple shooting guard. They just need guys that can shoot, uh, not even necessarily create their own shots because they have guys in, in AD, LeBron, and Russ that can go, and even Carmelo at times can even post up, hit those fadeaways and catch and shoot and create his own shots. So they got guys that can create those shots. They simply need guys that can catch the ball from LeBron and Russ to hit their shots when they're open. That's it. That's all they need to fill this roster with. Um Donnie Couch, could uh, Bo, Pete, Bo Pete Keys be a contributor for the Chiefs this year? Considering he has been he's been having a good camp. Yes, that's that's a name that hasn't yes. really been mentioned much. But yeah. I haven't mentioned it because I, I've only seen it at camp. Yeah. Um, I think that we every guy that we mentioned or talked about before uh, has shown it in some form or fashion or some degree or some some amount uh, in games that matter. Uh, I do like Bo Pete Keys. I like his talent. I like his ability. I like the way he plays. He's a very mature kid, too. Uh, I've seen some of his interviews and some of his press conferences. He really has a very level-headed mind, a very, a very even-keel vibe to him, and I really like that about him, too. And I think he gets this defense. Am I am I going to sit here and say that this dude's going to be a, a starter that's getting you know 50 to 70 snaps a game? No. Yeah. But do I see him maybe playing in dime dime coverage? Yeah, I could see that. I definitely yeah. can see it. And I do think he'll be a guy that will contribute in special teams. And if you know anything about Dave Tobe, when he likes you, he loves you. And if he gets a guy on there that he really vibes with, like a, like a, like I said, a Matt Kemp or, or not Matt Kemp, I said, <laughs> yeah. but Kemp, mm-hmm. uh, the the wide receiver, he's on this team simply because of special teams. A lot of guys make a, make a career out of that. And so, at worst, I think Bo Pete could be that guy. I think he'd be a special teamer that plays at a high level at that regard. Yeah, I mean, he's he's one of those guys that's going to literally just have to come in and make his presence known simply by effort. Those are those guys that you make the roster by by effort. We've seen a lot of those guys, like you said, like Kemp and you know, uh, 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 even Winchester being a long snapper, but he's always on those those special teams plays, making plays, making you know, a legit tackles, and, and you know, you know playing that gunner role sometimes and getting down the field quick on those kickoffs and stuff. So it, everybody's everybody's valuable in their own way. I don't think he's going to be a massive contributor at his personal position that he's wanting to play right now, because I, I just don't think that's the reality of the situation at this moment. Granted, some things may break his way and opportunity always comes, uh, especially in football bodies drop. So the availability is your best ability. So just be available, show your effort, be there on time at practice every day, do your job, do everything at you know, the max capacity that you can personally do. And you're going to make a name for yourself and, and coaches will recognize that. So I just think if he keeps pushing, with a name like that, I mean, you're going to be recognized. So keep it up. I hope so. I hope. I mean, I hope everybody contributes, man. I hope the best for every single player on this roster. So, yes, I hope so. Um, Donnie Couch, do you think Trey Smith has won the starting job at right guard? He's already won it. Yeah. Uh, in my eyes, I think, I think honestly, he probably won it from day one at training camp. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but mm. when you're a rookie dude in the sixth round, 
coming into the to, to the back-to-back Super Bowl appearing team out of the AFC, three straight AFC championships. You're starting at camp. You're you're rolling with with the the team one team the the first string team. Yeah. Day one, I think he, I think I think this Chiefs team realizes they got something special out of him. And so yes, I do think that one unless some unforeseen or unfortunate event happens, I think he's got this job locked up, man. I I don't see how they say no, LDT, you win the job because you've been here longer, even though you've missed over a year of football. No, Kyle Long, because of the fact you missed all of training camp, go ahead and do that. No, Austin Blythe, even though you played some guard, you've played mostly center in your career, you beat Trey Smith out. No, I, I think he's got this job locked up because he's the best player for this position. Yeah, he's got that mentality. He's got that day one starter mentality, man. He's got that dog in him, and that's what we want on the field. We want guys that are on the attack and not just playing, you know, to defend and protect Patrick Mahomes, but these this guy wants this guy wants to meet the, the you know the defensive tackles and defensive ends head on first. He wants to make that first contact. He's that guy that's going after and attacking these defensive linemen. Did you see him hit Dan Sorensen the other day? Yes, that's Dude, what I'm saying. He, he, he almost, wants it. He hit Dan yeah. Sorensen so hard he almost changed his religion. Like it, it got it, it was rough. He almost contemplated getting vaccinated. Yeah, no, uh, no. Look, man, I, 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 yeah, I love Trey Smith. I love everything he said so far. Every soundbite, everything. I, I, it's just it's music to my ears. This is what we wanted from this offensive line, and I hope his character bleeds into everybody else's character in this O line. And just we get a, a towering group of dogs on that front line. And that's all you can ask for, man. So yeah, I definitely do believe not only his talent, but his character and his his sure will to prove something in himself after being you know discounted in the draft. I think he has a massive chip on his shoulder, and I'm glad he's on my team. And I do, I absolutely do think he's going to get that starting position. Um, final question, Donny Couch. Do anchovies belong on pizza? <laughs> hell no. I'm going to say hell no too, but I do love anchovies. I'm not going to lie. I love them. So they, but no, uh, they don't go with pizza. Not, not, not in my world, not in my reality. And some, yeah, some people do. Some people like strange things. Not man. up in here. You know what I mean? So that's it, man. That's it for the great mailbag yeah. guys. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. And uh, everybody out there that's listening, if you've never chimed in on a mailbag, man, start that shit up next week, man. We love it when we hear from new people as well. We always have our OGs with Shaggy, Donnie, Billy, all those guys. We always appreciate their contributions, obviously. We want some young blood in here too, man. We'd like to get some new blood in this place and get some new mailbag questions in as well. So spread the word and let the people know, man. And our guy Stan Simmons out there in Fresno always sending us voice messages as well. I talked to him this week. That was shout cool. Uh, so shout out to our guy Stan Simmons. I know he's listening right now, but... We have one more thing to get accomplished tonight. And Trevor, what is it called? Hold this L. Casey Hemp Company, your most trusted CBD provider in Kansas City, shipping nationwide. Ancient plant for a new age health. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Casey Hempco. It's time to hold this L. I want you to do me a favor and hold this L. Somebody's got to hold that L. <laughs> the him, the her. I'm talking like caps lock L L L L L L L L Cool J stuff. Hold that L. <laughs> Good God, man. Hold this gigantic, <laughs> veiny, oh pulsating hell. Man, you are one pathetic loser. You ignorant bastard. <laughs> oh, that was great. Oh, hold Sorry. this hell.
it's time to hold this L. What we do each and every week to wrap up each and every episode is we give out some friendly or not so friendly L's in the world of sports, regardless if they're friendly or not friendly. We promise you that whoever is holding the L in the world of the sports, we hand out those motherfuckers deserve it. Trevor Twidwell, who is holding the L for you this week? Listen, man, I know a lot of you know about it. It was making the headlines and it was getting definitely ridiculed for the most part, I believe. Uh, some people still feel this way, but I'm just going to go ahead and give it to Charles Barkley. Since nobody talked about it in the mailbag, no one brought it up. I probably wouldn't have talked about it or gave it airwaves if it did get brought up in the, in the mailbag. But since no one brought it up and asked the question how we felt about it, I think we all know how me and Lance feel about this. This is an age-old debunked way to go about superstars, let alone the superstar LeBron James uh, and his career and the idea that he has not had to struggle in his career and has only had success because of stacked teams. Listen, if you guys want to go on my Facebook page or just simply go on YouTube and listen to Nick Wright break down and completely dismantle that argument, go for it. He's going to do it far better than I am. I'm just going to simply just breeze through it and, and, and just say how I feel about it. It's first of all, it's absolute bullshit. Um, and for Charles Barkley himself to go on there and say the fact that that's coming out of his lips is hilarious. Seeing that he tried his best to jump on every single loaded team and roster and getting drafted into a loaded roster where Dr. J uh, and a few other hall of famers literally from his launch of his career, he was around hall of famers and immediately, you know, that, that was an automatically successful team that was coming from the finals and had the, you know, pre previous MVP on it. Um, so pretty much just making the claim that, you know, that LeBron James um, hasn't had to struggle, even though his first seven years, he was carrying a bunch of bums straight out of high school. Mind you, this guy was carrying a bunch of grown men deep into the playoffs Never a first round exit. Granted, got swept at you know to a, to a Spurs dynasty young at a young age, but got that team to the finals alone is more than any other superstar has ever done. Um, I don't want to dive too much into this. All I'm going to say is that Charles Barkley has been trying to trying to push this this you know he's not over Kobe, he's not ranking LeBron over Kobe because of the struggle when Kobe was drafted into a team with the greatest center of all time attached to it playing. Robin to that Batman that was already in place. It's just silly, man. Like, I just don't you – know, MJ alone. Look at MJ's first few – I mean, you're going to – okay, we, we get it. But the success doesn't come without teams that you, you want to call quote-unquote stacked. Look at every successful dynasty, every successful team that won championships in almost any sport. There's multiple all-time talents on all those rosters. That's just how it goes. And you don't become an all-time player without having massive success or at least being an, a massive individual talent. Granted, there's guys that don't find their success, but they will be all an all-time talent. But most of those all-time talent find ways to win. And it typically is alongside other all-time talents. LeBron James had to learn the hard way, and he went through maybe more than any. I mean, if you want to talk about struggle, the dude came straight from high school into a man's league and was dragging these trash rosters and a trash franchise that he loved dearly because it was from his home state <laughs> to the finals and in, in, in two Eastern conferences damn near year in, year out for seven whole years, almost a decade he gave that team, and they did nothing to to bring other talent to his way. So, what, I mean, what else is he supposed to do? All these other guys, and like, like Nick broke down. When, when things got tough when Shaq left town, Kobe couldn't, you know, they're getting bounced in the first round, the second round, they couldn't get further than that. 
Kobe went on national TV demanding saying that he wanted out, saying that he wanted to trade. Granted, he played for LA, a great franchise that's attractive to a lot of star players. Players want to play there. So he ended up getting other talent to surround him and formed another big three, try to stack the deck, and they still failed. Right? He still failed with Steve Nash and Dwight Howard. It didn't work. So these, you know, and it, listen, man, they ended up obviously hitting Pau Gasol, and that worked out for a few handful, a handful of years. But it took other talent. It took other guys. The fact you're gonna that he's gonna try to go out there and act like LeBron James didn't struggle. LeBron James didn't. The fact that he came from nowhere, out of Akron, Ohio, high school kid coming out and flourishing the way he did from day one. It's just that's that's an absolute embarrassing statement from a guy that, that claims to know basketball. And, and I will end it with this. The fact that we all know why Charles Barkley is, is, is pushing this, this rhetoric is because his personal resume and his personal failures are attached to MJ, are attached to that fact that MJ was so great. That's the only reason why Chuck couldn't get it done. Right. So he has to, he has to act like, you know, his personal resume is is hinged upon another guy that went through struggle and 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 became the goat, quote unquote, in his mind. And it's just this 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 is this spouts off of the mouth as personal beef in my mind, personal rhetoric that he wants to spread. And it's just it's literally getting dismantled. And I just wanted to give Chuck that L because it's just, it's honestly, man, this is a day old thing. Like people are, it's 17, 18 years into LeBron's career. That's unmatched statistically and achievements unmatched. And you're going to try to make, you know, downplay the struggle that LeBron went to, to get to and become the man that he is and the leader that he is. It's just embarrassing that we still got talking heads out there going on big, big public platforms and spreading that nonsense. So for that, Chuck, you got to do me a favor, man. And, Hold this, this L. L. Wow, I choked up on that one. That was a, you got me emotional on that one, Trev. Mini stroke. I'm going to start my uh, my night off. I actually have a couple L's I want to hand out because uh, obviously Eddie's not here, and I feel it's only fair to give out three L's tonight in total. But I do want to start off the, my portion of this with a W. Mm. So um, Trez Paler meant everything to us here in Kansas City. Uh, he meant uh, everything to NFL fans alike. Uh, with Yahoo – Sports when he did the show with Charles Robinson, which was one of the best podcasts around uh, when it came to football knowledge and, and information. He impacted more people's lives than we realize. And uh, there is a particular player by the name of Mitch Morse who started in Kansas City with the Chiefs and is now the Bills starting center. Uh, he also played at Mizzou. And he gave a testimony this week about Therese Paler and what he meant to him in his early career and how he reflects upon it now. I'm going to let you guys play. It's only about a minute long. I was a, I was a sophomore center at University of Missouri, and uh, Therese was a beat writer for Kansas City, but it was also from Mizzou. Um, and I, I was just having a tough go at center. I couldn't snap the ball. I was go, I was sailing snaps in games, and it was, it was costing us big plays, and uh, one media day after a particular bad game, he comes up, or, you know, a few guys, I'm, I'm not going to say names, but a few media guys go, are you as surprised as we are that you're still a starting center? And as a 19-year-old, I really, it crushed me. Um, I was shaken, uh, I was emotional, and Therese and another guy named Vahe came up to me. Didn't have to do this, this is the first time I ever met him, and he said, like, listen, pal, you're a young kid, you got this, we got your back, Let's take it one day at a time. And, and he had, he didn't owe me anything. And he did that, and um, 
and then I had him in Kansas City, and uh, he's a great dude. He's a good person, did it for all the right reasons, and we lost him, and that was, uh, and I think he's got a scholarship fund at Howard University uh, where he attended, um, and if you get a chance, we were trying to get the shirt, uh, the juice shirt, is it juice shirt? All yeah, juice all juice team shirt. We couldn't get it here in time, um, but I just want to start off. He's a good person, and we miss him dearly. We lost a great man in Therese, guys. I hope, I hope everybody that's listening to me right now understands that. I personally never really knew Therese as a personal level. I was I always aspired to be like him and to, to learn from his skill set and from his just way he was with people. Um, but just just because Mitch told a personal story, um, when I when we found out about uh, Therese dying, I was uh, just leaving my office and uh, – it was emotional for me, man. And I think we talked about this on the show before, but just to kind of reflect on it, I, ca- I came back to my house. My girlfriend was here with me and I just remember crying. I was just, I was, I was so emotionally just distraught by it because of stories like that. I mean, I've heard so many stories from people that were impacted by Therese Paler, whether they were athletes or, or reporters or writers, radio hosts, I mean, or just the common fan. I mean, just to know that we lost a man like that at such an early age and to hear stories like that, it always just gets me emotional because Mitch Morse is a guy that's had so many, you heard about it, the struggles he had in Mizzou and then all the concussions he's had in his career and had to overcome so many things. I mean, I would have to imagine that Therese's support resonated for him, man, and and kept him going probably at times. And you, it, I would recommend that you guys go and watch the video of Mitch because you just see the sincerity in his face and just how, how it, it pains people that we lost a man like him at any age, let alone at the age we did. We were, I feel like we were robbed of something, man. I, and I, I don't want to make this weird, but it falls almost in the same category as with Kobe Bryant, where it just feels so wrong. It's just like there's no way in the world we lost them already. Like they had so much more to give. They had so much more life to live. Like I feel like that's in the same vein of, of just we as a society lost somebody so near and dear period, but let alone in a time where we feel like they could have given so much more and could have been so much more for all of us selfishly. And I say that selfishly, but that's what the kind of people, that's the kind of person Therese was, man. So I want to give a W to Mitch Morse. I want to give a W to Therese Paler's legacy. Hmm. I, I want to give the W to Mitch because of the fact that he told that story that I had no idea about. I've never heard that story before. And I was I, I was just blessed to hear that one, man. That really touched me big time because I, I can I can listen to any story about Therese. I'll sit and I'll shut up and I'll listen. And if anybody knows me, to get me to shut up, that means that it's something that I really care about. Facts. You know, so um, but I want to give a, a definite W to Therese's legacy, man, because that's something that I want to be that guy. You know, when I'm gone, I want to be the person that somebody's telling a story about like that. That's what I want to be, man. Therese was was the best amongst us, man, and I just hope that we all aspire to be like him. So now that we've gotten all the mushy stuff out of the way, I'm going to give out some fucking L's, man, because those are that's why we're here, right? So um, the Lakers have been making some moves, and it's been great, and it's been exciting for all of us that love basketball and, and, and want to see LeBron continue to win titles. But there's one player that's definitely losing on this one. That's Dennis Schroeder. And what do I mean by that? Well, not only is Dennis Schroeder not currently on the Lakers roster, he's not on anyone's roster. 
And there is no one, literally, there has been no interest from anyone. It's been so bad for Dennis Schroeder. They're saying the only way that he even gets a team is if he agrees to a sign-and-trade with the Lakers, which is probably what's going to happen. And the reason why that sucks so bad is just because not even two and a half months ago, the Lakers offered Dennis Schroeder an $84 million contract. Well, now he's got a $0 million contract. He ain't got shit out there. The market is dead for one Dennis Schroeder. So while he's out there spending money on that little dye he puts on the tip of his hair, he might want to hold back on spending money because he ain't got shit right now. And I don't know if he's going to be getting anything anytime soon, except this L that I'm about to get him. So Dennis Schroeder, do me a solid and hold this L. My last L of the night is something I'm going to very much enjoy breaking down for you guys. So if anybody watched The Last Dance, they know that um, Michael Jordan likes to lie. And he he's really good at it. But the only problem for Michael now is we have this one thing called technology and Google. And we can find out the truth about things. And you can make your, your case or your beliefs or your theories about what really happened with the quote-unquote flu game or the pizza game, or as I like to call, a night out on the town. Um, Michael Jordan is out here lying again. And it's unwarranted, and I don't get it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys hear what he broke down. I'm going to tell you why he's lying, and I can prove it. So I don't know when this when this was actually recorded or when this interview actually happened. I'm not, it looks like it's been within the last year. Um, and and uh, Michael Jordan is talking about a former teammate by the name of Luke Longley, his former center with the Chicago Bulls. I'm just going to go ahead and let uh, Michael break this down. It's only about 40 seconds long. He may not like this story. Um in 98, we were playing the Utah Jazz. The first quarter ends. Luke has 12 points, four blocks, and four rebounds. And I go to Luke, I say, that's how you can play, man. You do that, we dominate. We up by 16 at the end of the game. Luke had 12 points, four rebounds, and four blocks. We're winning by 16, we lose by 15. And I just looked at Luke and I said, you know what, Luke? That is the last time I'm going to give you a compliment in the middle of the game. You listen to that story and you think, man, that's hilarious, man. MJ's such a savage. Oh, my God. That guy was such a prick, but it worked because they won all those titles. Yeah, yeah, there's a problem with the story, guys. That never happened. I went and did this thing. You know, remember, again, I'm researching on Google. Um, you can look up Luke Longley game logs, right? So I did that. And I went to the 97-98 season that, that, that Michael was talking about because 97-98 was the final season with the, with the that was the last dance. Uh, and they disbanded. I think the Luke Longley went to the Suns after that, if I'm not mistaken. And obviously Michael retired again. Um, in the two games they faced the Jazz in the regular season that year, they lost by 7 and 8. So they didn't lose by 15 to the Jazz at all that season. Um, and in those games, Luke Longley never had that stat line. Luke Longley scored... 10 points, and, and this is including the finals matchup, by the way, against the Jazz. In the, all six games they played, scored 10 points, 4 points, 8 points, 2 points, 6 points, and 0 points with 5 total blocks. Which means it's literally and physically and, and astronomically and scientifically and all the other equalities. Mathematically. Impossible. Mathematically, thank you, the one that's important. <laughs> impossible 
for that game to occur, where Luke Longley had 12 points, four rebounds, and four blocks, and then finished the game with 12 rebounds, four rebounds, and four blocks. In fact, I even did a little dig, dig just to make sure that, because maybe Michael was wrong about the, the season, right? And maybe it was a jazz game they faced in the 96-97 season. Yeah, no, there there is no game of Luke Longley having that stat and having that stat line and then losing by 15 points to the Jazz. In fact, I went through every single game of Luke Longley's entire career, which was 11 seasons. Never once in his entire career did he have a stat line of 12 points, 4 rebounds and 4 blocks. And never once did the Luke did the Luke Longley Bulls Lose to the Jazz by 15 points. Michael's out here lying and nobody gives a shit. Like, we're just listening to these stories and going, oh my God, that's so hilarious. Oh my God, Michael Jordan's out here just making jokes about his teammates. Just like he did with several other stories in his career, he made this one up too, guys. I know that pisses y'all off and you get mad at me. I'm just the one relaying facts here. And I'm also the one that's out here laying out L's. So Michael Jordan, everyone else's goat. Do me a solid, brother. And... Hold, Hold this, this L. L. Good shit. Why you gotta lie about something like that? Well, if you can lie about something small like that, what else is he lying about? Uh, like a flu game? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or his legacy? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> we've gone too far on this one. <laughs> we've gone too far. We're, we're losing all of our subscribers. <laughs> uh, man, this is a fun show. Uh, it flew by too. Damn, man. It's just yeah. it's it's weird not having Eddie here. We, we missed covered him. a lot though, man. Yeah, we we really we really went across the board. And if, like I said. Guys, get in the Monday mailbag. We really do appreciate that when we see newbies in there, man. We, we love having you guys in there, and and we uh, we definitely want to get more uh, thoughts. And Because, and, man, Donnie had some really good takes. Shaggy had great takes. Billy had awesome takes, man. Mm-hmm. You, guys, you guys are insightful, man. We want to get that from you guys. It ain't just us in here running our mouths. We want to hear from you as well. That's what the spoken is all about as a whole. That's what we started this damn thing almost eleven years ago. Yeah, we got a lot of guys in the group that like to talk. So I mean, you know, get some get some questions <laughs> in if you know, you're feeling froggy. So you know what I mean. As <laughs> I'm dying over here, yeah. uh, like Doc Holiday. Anyway, <laughs> well, episode 120 it was a blast. We're definitely looking forward. We're gonna have a ton more guests, guys. We got. I'm just letting you guys know. Uh, we have some very uh, fan favorite guests coming up in the very near future. Just mm-hmm. so stay tuned for that. I don't want to give it away yet. But there are guys that you very much love and appreciate, and I know you guys are gonna love the conversations we have with them. I will say that one of them could be potentially from another country. So stay tuned for that, and I hope that didn't just give it away, but it probably did. But in the meantime, for Missing Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo, for Trevor Twidwell, for Clay Windler, the great producer that puts all this together for us, the puzzle maker, I am Lance Twidwell. Episode 128 is finished. It is done. It's finito. And until episode 129 reels its ugly head up next week, we out of this bitch. We're going to get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See ya. You are tuned in to Spoke. I might actually stick. I might actually stick around for a little bit.